Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 12th of December, year of our Lord, 2019. I haven't done a back-to-back podcast in a long time. Kind of fun. I had to uh, intro with what we talked about yesterday, of course, because that is a Democrat, Abigail Spanberger, getting crushed by her constituents. Now, granted, there could be some Trump trolls in the audience, but when you really break it down, more and more Americans, and when you go around Twitter... A lot of people think the same thing. This is just bullshit. It's not real, and I think it's going to really hurt the Dems. But we'll see next week when we go back into our military podcast. Because today, military podcast, I'm sorry, I have military on the mind because it's the first thing I'm starting with, with our political podcast next week, which will be on, uh, well, today's, uh, what is today, Thursday? <clears throat> so we'll go with a Wednesday, Wednesday podcast next week. Um, on politics, and then a Friday on fun stuff. Because this is my fun podcast, so I'm not going to talk that much right now. Get on in to our news and social media nugget edition, and all of them start with Military Corner. Suicide bomber strikes main U.S. military base in Afghanistan, injuring 87. It killed at least one person and injuring scores in a major attack that could scupper plans. I don't know what scupper is. That's a new word. Revived peace talks for the United States and Taliban. The Taliban claimed responsibility for the attack, which struck the Bagram Air Base north of Kabul. First, a heavy-duty Mazda vehicle struck the wall of the American base. Later, several Mujahideen equipped with light and heavy weapons were able to attack the American occupiers. The Taliban, that, that is from a, uh, a Taliban spokesman. Okay, I was going to say, if that was from a, 
Afghan spokesman. We got problems. The Taliban spokesman claimed the attack was still ongoing. The U.S.-led military coalition said the attack was quickly contained and repelled. Abdul Shakur Kuduzi, the district governor Bagram, said 87 people were injured and one woman was killed and that a clearance operation was still ongoing. Five service members from the former Soviet Republic of Georgia, which is part of the U.S.-led coalition, were among those injured, the country's defense ministry said in a statement. A 30-minute clash also happened between the attackers who obviously wanted to enter the base and foreign forces. Two attackers detonated vehicle aid or VBIDs or vehicle borne IEDs with explosives at the southern entrance to the base while five more opened fire. It was not immediately clear how many of the five gunmen were killed. That's not good. That's not good at all. But our next story kind of goes on the heels of this. Pentagon orders review of vetting for international students and U.S. military programs after the Saudi attack and all the green on greens. we got to get a better process, folks. DODIG is looking into recruit deaths at military training. There's not a whole lot, but there's quite a few. And right when I got this story... Soldier dies after he was found unresponsive at an urban training center. A soldier of the International National Guard died this weekend at an urban training center in the southeast part of the state. That's a big base there. We're going to put a store. Um, I can't remember the name of it. Corporal Larry Litton Jr., 29, was found unresponsive at the Musatak Urban Training Center on Saturday. Details of his death were not being provided at the time in international Indiana National Guard spokesman said, upon being found, Linton was immediately transferred to a nearby hospital where he was pronounced dead. The National Guard is working in conjunction with local authorities to conduct a thorough investigation. I don't know what happened to him, or at least I've not reported it. It doesn't sound good. The Massatuck Urban Training Center is a thousand acre property located roughly 75 miles southeast of Indianapolis. New medical training for all service on the way. Soldier, sailors, and airmen and Marines will soon have new training on how to save their buddy in the first crucial missions, first crucial minutes at 6 o'clock in the morning, sorry, uh, injuring combat. That's because the curriculum known as Tier 2 Tactical Combat Casualty Care could become the new uniform standard uh, methods taught for troops, and it would replace combat lifesaver. Hmm. That's good. These two ACFT events are proving to be the hardest. The six-event ACFT is rolling out service-wide this year. Gear deliveries begin next month, but a few events stand out for new recruits already taking the test at BASIC. Early numbers show the two test events that require the most training are the leg tuck and standing power throw. According to Lieutenant Colonel Peggy Kegory, Public Affairs for the Center for Initial Military Training. From the first week of BASIC training, to advanced individual training, men went on average from five to seven leg tucks. Women went from less than half a full repetition of leg tuck to a full leg tuck. Wow. I see this totally getting rewritten because they don't want to be called sexist. That's, that's what's going to happen. Cold War Redux, U.S. to hold largest European exercise in 25 years. 20,000 U.S. troops are deployed to Europe for Defender. That's the name of the exercise. The United States will send 20,000 troops to Europe next April and May in the biggest military exercise in European soil since Cold War to underscore Washington's commitment to NATO. 
a senior Allied commander, said on Tuesday, days after a NATO summit in London, which U.S. President Donald Trump called low-spending Europe allies delinquent, U.S. Major General Bear Sinkwin said the exercise centered on Germany would be the largest of their kind in 25 years. Um, let me see. Army will test its ability to transport the troops across the Atlantic to Belgium and Netherlands and then move quickly east through Germany into Poland and along NATO's eastern flank. The soldiers will join U.S. personnel stationed across the continent as well as militaries from 18 allies to amass around 37,000 troops. It's basically a redux of Reforger. That was the big exercise during the Cold War where they said United States U.S.-based troops over, do an exercise. It's kind of like um, Team Spirit in Korea, where they did the same thing. Devastated. Three crew killed in Black Hawk crash in Minnesota. Three soldiers from the Minnesota National Guard were killed Thursday when the Black Hawk helicopter they were riding in for routine maintenance test flight crashed in a farm field in central Minnesota. Nobody's identified the soldiers. The reason why I cover this article is I was watching TV with my wife, and the night before, we had taped Evil. She loves that show. They had this three dead in Blackhawk crash on Channel 5 News, which is the CBS affiliate in Nashville. I went into Overdrive Old Man, or Old Man Overdrive, as my wife said, wrote a scathing comment to these jackasses because they did not specify it was Minnesota. This is the 101st Airborne Division. There's 10,000 helicopters up here. And you put that on your Chiron during a show, and a lot of military dependents are going to shit the bed. This is why when I was deployed to Afghanistan, my family did not watch the TV. Because they have no proper conduct with military. They're just a bunch of dick noses. Under pressure... Navy top official pledges to solve new carrier problem. The new acting secretary of the Navy said Thursday that President Donald Trump concerns over persistent problems with the Ford-class aircraft carrier has prompted him to make fixing these problems one of his top priorities. I was on the carrier general Gerald R. Ford last week, and Ford is something the president is very concerned about, Thomas B. Moley told an audience in the annual U.S. Naval Institute Defense Forum. He talks to us about it a lot, and I think it's a concern as are justified because the ship is very, very expensive and it needs to work. The advanced $13 billion carrier has been plagued by problems, including glitches with its 11 new weapons elevators, which bring ammunition to the flight deck. The failure to solve many of the issues with the 23 new technologies introduced on the carrier have led to countless delays and still threaten its maiden deployment, which is planned for 2021 they have all sorts of issues with all these and we only had half our carriers out to sea now after they were in dock for four months maybe we just need to say stay simple stupid keep it simple stupid kiss all this high-tech shit just doesn't seem to work Widow's tax to be eliminated by 2023 and proposed defense budget, the final version of the fiscal 2020 defense budget, would phase out the so-called widow tax. For decades, military families have tried to change a policy that's kept about 65,000 surviving military spouses nationwide from receiving their full survivor benefits. The National Defense Authorization Act proposal would eliminate, over the course of three years, a system by which survivors' compensation from the Department of Veterans Affairs is deducted from the annuity provided by the Defense Department-funded Survivor Benefit Plan. We've been talking about this, and so by 2023, it'll be gone. 
Military outgoing top enlisted leader unveil unique rank insignia for SEAC. Senior enlisted advisor to the chief, I think that's what it is. And the U.S. military top enlisted service member unveiled a new distinctive rank insignia specifically for the senior enlisted advisor to the chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff. There it is. An insignia that he would will wear for the, his last week on the job. Army Command Sergeant Major John Wayne Troxell sported the new insignia while meeting with reporters Monday ahead of the retirement Friday. The new insignia, which features the same eagle grasping three arrows that appears on the Joint Staff emblem, surrounded by four stars, will be donned by the incoming C. Air Force Chief Master Sergeant Ramon CZ Colin Lopez for the entirety of his time as position. Troxel has worn the same rank insignia as other command sergeant majors in the Army throughout his four years as SEAC. While the top enlisted service member assigned to the military branches, the sergeant major of the Army, sergeant major of the Marine Corps, and the chief master sergeant of the Air Force, and the master chief petty officer of the Navy, and the master chief petty officer of the Coast Guard for years have worn rank insignia specific for the position. No such thing was done for the senior advisor to the Joint Chief of Staff. And good for you guys. You had to suck a lot of ass to get up there, I'm just saying, as a listed guy. Defense bill will end gender segregation at Marine Corps boot camp. Wow. And they can't be happy with that. Documentary follows forced recon Marines' raw struggle after war. Trauma, brain injury, drug addiction, three suicide attempts... Divorce, a prison sentence for Marine featured a new documentary turning from deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan was only the start of his fight for survival. Homemade, which was released in select movie theaters on Veterans Day, has more screenings expected, taking viewers on an intimate six-year journey through decorated Force Recon Marine Adam Sorensen's life following his time in combat. Through interviews with Sorensen's his wife, his mother-in-law, and his parents, documentary paints a picture of Marine's struggle with drug addiction, PTSD, and insomnia. The film at times shows raw moments between Sorensen and his frustrated wife as they talk about his drug addiction and has graphic descriptions of his plans to end his life. I don't know if I want to watch this or not. I probably don't. Paratrooper who lost father in Iraq attends dedication ceremony for barracks named in his honor. Sergeant Marshall H. Egerton was seven years old when his grandfather picked him up early from school in December 2003, that wasn't necessarily odd because of the time the now 23-year-old paratrooper father was serving in Iraq. And for six months before that, he was deployed to Afghanistan. Me and my mom and sister had moved back to Tennessee because right on my dad's arrival back from deployment, he was getting out. His ETS was coming up, Edgerton recalled during a telephone interview. I got called out of school and I got in the car and there was my mom and her mom and dad and my grandparents. They were crying and no one was really saying anything. After picking up his uncle, the family explained what had happened. His father, then Specialist Marshall L. Egerton, had been killed in action December 11th while pulling guard duty at Camp Air R. Ramadi, Iraq. I was seven, so I understood, but at the same time I didn't, the son said. At the time of his death, the father, too, was assigned a single battalion with the 82nd Airborne Division. Almost 16 years later, Egerton was serving in his father's old division when he received an email from Fort Gordon officials in Georgia. The post was naming a new barracks for single-course students after his father on the anniversary of his death, and they wanted him there for the dedication ceremony. That's fantastic. And you don't see a lot of specialist Egerton barracks. That made me happy. So, let's go into our college crazy. We're going to start it off um, today 
with a soundbite of students saying that DACA and illegal immigrants should be getting free tuition, but they don't want to pay for it. Were you trying to get crazy with this, see? Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. I'm Eduardo Norette with Campus Reform. Today we're at the University of South Florida asking students if they think illegal immigrants should have access to taxpayer-funded free tuition. When the students tell me yes, I'm going to be asking them if they would be willing to put their own money towards the cause. Let's find out what they say. Do you believe education is a human right? Yes, uh, yes, because um, I believe everyone should have the opportunity to get access to education. Education is what lets people know about stuff uh <laughs> it's necessary education's for everyone it's not just for selected people like yeah everyone should have the opportunity to at least get some type of education um without education a person is not able to experience what society has built to the fullest yes absolutely education is the key to upward mobility it's a key to life it's a key to being successful without education you don't know what's going on around you, you don't go know what you need like what you need to survive basically so yeah absolutely education is definitely a human right we've heard a lot of discussions recently in the news and politics about you know using taxpayer money for free tuition for everyone so do you personally believe undocumented immigrants should have access should have taxpayer free tuition Absolutely. I think um, undocumented immigrants have a ne- negative connotation attached toward them, and that's they come to this country look, seeking a better life. I actually do agree because I believe everybody should have an equal opportunity to get the right education. These kind of resources shouldn't be limited to people that are documented. If it is a human right, then we naturally have to give it to, to the immigrants, right? If you do give education to uh, the undocumented immigrants, you're going to increase the uh, quality of the labor force. So. Um, it's going to result in a higher GDP and it's going to benefit the economy. So, Would you support free college for undocumented people in this country? Yeah, definitely. definitely. I would. Yeah, 100%. I think it's very difficult for a lot of undocumented um, children to basically have a good stand in this country without it. It's not really fair for them. I myself would argue that immigrants deserve, be it illegal, they deserve education as a human right. Because I too truly, truly believe that the amount of illegal immigrants compared to the resources this country has, you know, they cancel each other out to provide enough education for everyone. I I think it's like, it's always nice to help people. I'm never against helping people, whether they're, um, they're like documented or not. I'm, I'm with it hundred percent to be honest. And they deserve that human right of education. So I'm glad you said that because something we're doing today is we are trying to raise money for uh, tuition for undocumented immigrants since they don't have access. So would you be willing to give uh, some money for that tuition? If I did, I definitely would. But your girl is broke. So, yeah. Um, I'll have to pass on that one. But isn't it? But it's a human right, though. It is a human right. Absolutely. <laughs> Do you think you're violating their human rights then by not by not chipping in or <laughs> emotional feel? <laughs> well, I mean, no, it's a human right for me to say no, right? And since they can't get it through taxpayer dollars, would you guys be willing to contribute? 
would. Uh, I would love to, but I don't have cash on me right now. Cash on me either right now, but I would love to. I. Do you guys have Venmo? I don't. I don't. I don't have money on me, though. <laughs> oh, you don't have money on you? What about Venmo? I mean, come on, because education is a human right. You don't have Venmo? No. Because you seemed interested, would you be willing to uh, give money? Cash. I have no cash on me at all. Venmo? Uh, sure, yeah, I'll give a Venmo. Yeah. Uh, right now, I have my Bulls card in my pocket. I haven't eaten in two days because yep. I have no money. Fact it, that it shouldn't be my duty to raise the money. Right. To tell you that. Uh, right. This country has more than enough money distributed in the hands of the wrong individuals. Right. Hey there, I'm Eduardo Noret with Campus Reform. If you're interested in subscribing to get our latest content, click here. If you want to join our team as a correspondent or an investigator, click here. And lastly, if you'd like to donate to help us create more great content like this, click right here. Somehow that doesn't even surprise me. They all want this free shit, but they don't realize they're going to have to pay for it someday, but then they don't want to pay for it. Yeah. Potential donors scoff at college requests for cash, citing liberal bias and rising tuition. While attempting to solicit donations, St. Olaf College in Minnesota received several messages from alumni who are discontent with their alma mater's ideological bent and rising tuition costs, bringing the college more money to spend on nonsense. The alumni donation accounting for billions of the total money colleges and universities across the country receive annually. Schools are highly dependent on alumni satisfaction for funding. St. Olaf is no exception and has been reaching out to alumni recently as part of an all-in-for-the-hill initiative to raise $200 million by July 2020. However, photographs obtained by Campus Reform of correspondence between fundraisers and potential alumni donors show that some former St. Olaf students are hesitant to pledge their support in light of concerns about the college exhibiting left-leaning tendencies, among other factors. When asked for donations, one former student responded, No way, man. If Olaf wants any money at all from me, they need to give conservatives a fair voice. Another alumnus condemned the school's shift in philosophy before vowing not to donate. Unfortunately, St. Olaf has taken a philosophical turn for the worse, so I doubt I'll be supporting the institution anytime soon. I will donate to St. Olaf when you stop raising your tuition exponentially every year and wasting it on nonsense, another alumnus told Fundraiser, perhaps referencing the school's new $1 million Taylor Center for Equality and Collusion or a myriad of other social justice programs at the college. Another prospective alumni donor responded to St. Olaf's request for money by sharing how she tried to email just about every office on campus in the last year to start a conversation about education on campus to no avail. I don't know why I'd give back to a place that obviously doesn't care. These disgruntled alumni who now refuse to donate are not alone in disdain for St. Olaf. Conservatives have been sounding off online against a college for years. As one Yelp reviewer put it, if you are conservative or voted for Trump, expect to be violently threatened by your peers and flunked by your teachers. Teachers will say violence against Trump supporters is okay. If you agree with that, then this is a school for you. <laughs> Karma's a bitch. Professor says college hiring practice included a political test likens to McCarthyism. 
this does not surprise me. One math professor speaking out against the perceived growing trend of filtering out ideological diversity in professors through application processes, pointing out one practice that she says effectively included a political ideology test on a job application. American Mathematical Society Vice President and University of California Davis Professor Abigail Thompson published an article in the Notices of American Mathematical Society. Ooh, that's a scorcher. I'd love to read that. Expressing that while she was wishing to have diversity and inclusiveness in the field of math, she opposes diversity scores. Thompson began by noting that she and in favor of making efforts to include everybody in the field of mathematics and listing several ways to do it, but ultimately rejects the common practice of requiring diversity statements in faculty applications. These statements are often included in application for educators' positions and are meant to gauge one's commitment to certain ideological values. We should continue to do all we can do to reduce barriers to participation in most Beautiful of fields. It's so beautiful. Math is so beautiful. Thompson adding that there are reasonable means to further this goal, like encouraging students from all backgrounds to enter the mathematics pipeline, trying to ensure that talented mathematicians don't leave the profession, creating family-friendly policies and supporting junior faculty at the beginning of the careers, for example. But she argues that there are also mistakes to avoid, even going so far as to compare the practice of filtering out applicants not focused on diversity to McCarthyism, saying mandating diversity statements for job candidates is one such mistake reminiscent events 70 years ago. Thompson argues that diversity statements served a purpose of filtering out candidates who do not ascribe to thinking about individuals in terms of groups. She warns that hiring committees are being urged to start the review process by using official provided rubrics to score the required diversity statements and to eliminate applicants who don't achieve a score cutoff. Thompson represents a typical rubric used by the University of California, Berkeley, Oh, you got to be, this has got to be a good one. To score these type of statements, which shows that mentoring, treating all students the same regardless of backgrounds, puts one in the bottom tier of scores. Tom supports specifically to classic liberals to offer an example on how this political test would affect people who do not share the same worldview as leftists. Classic liberals aspire to treat every person as a unique individual, not as a representative of a gender or ethnic group. The same rubric dictates that in order to get a high diversity score, a candidate should demonstrate clear knowledge of experience with and interest in dimensions of diversity that result from different identities. By pointing out how classic liberals, despite treating all groups with respect, would fail the diversity test, she comes to the conclusion that requiring candidates to believe that people should be treated differently according to their identity is indeed a political test. The rubric cited by Thompson mentioned that in order to be at the top tier for selection, track record and advanced diversity, equity, and inclusion, one needs to have organized or spoken at workshops or other events aimed at increasing others' understanding of diversity, equity, and inclusion, which basically is, they must have gone and said, America sucks. And this has, I mean, friends, it has literal examples. Um... This is one of them. Clear knowledge of experience with interest in dimension. This is for math, remember. Dimensions of diversity that result from different identities such as ethnic, socioeconomic, racial, gender, sexual orientation, disability, cultural differences. This understanding can result from personal experience as well as an investment in learning about the experiences those with identities differ from their own. Is aware of the demographic data related to diversity in higher education. Discuss the under-representation of many groups. Conduct a discussion, diversity-related issues 
issue, including distinctions and connections between diversity, equity, and inclusion, both in writing and a job task. Understand the challenges faced by underrepresented individuals and need for all students and faculty to work to identify and eliminate barriers to their full and equitable participation and advancement. Discuss diversity, equity, and inclusion as core values that every faculty member should actively contribute to the advancing. And basically what that means is, yes, if a black person is in my class, I don't care what they do, they're going to get an A. At the bottom of the article, however, not all academic responses to Thompson's statements were negative. Portland State University political science professor Bruce Gilley agreed with Thompson, calling her bold and courageous woman, daring to call out the political litmus test of diversity statements or diversity achievements for what they are, a clear and present danger to academic excellence, social freedom, and indeed diversity goals themselves. Because that's really what it comes down to. I, I... I am probably more of a classic liberal than a conservative. That being, yeah, everybody should get a shot. Everybody's equal. I don't care if you think you're a unicorn. You're just as equal as a kid who doesn't think he's a unicorn. But that's not where we're at now. Modern liberals are, well, he is a luber, uh, uh, he thinks he's a unicorn and he's better than you, white guy. That, that's, that's crazy. University invites students to DACA donut party. Safe Space releases pro-illegal statement. The University of Utah came out of full force in support of illegal immigrant students. As DACA came before the Supreme Court in November, numerous officers of the University of Utah wrote responses to the United States Supreme Court argument over President Donald Trump's decision to phase out the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrival Program. The Associate Students of the University of Utah proclaimed an unwavering support for undocumented students in an Instagram post and encouraged students to reach out to the University of Utah's Dream Center, which provides support for undocumented students, mixed-status families, and college access to Graduation, but as in our lead-in soundbite, we don't want to pay for it. Yeah. And a no-brainer, you expected this. Hundreds of law professors say Trump should be impeached. Letter to Congress from legal scholars. We, the undersigned legal scholars, have concluded that President Trump engaged in impeachment conduct. We did not reach this conclusion lightly. Lie. The founders did not make impeachment available for disagreements over policy, even profound ones, nor an extreme distaste for the manner in which the president executes his office. Only treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanor warrant impeachment. But there is an overwhelming evidence that President Trump betrayed his oath of office to seek to use presidential power to pressure a foreign government to help him distort American election. Really? Yeah, you made this decision on November 9th, 2016. New Jersey College tells white students to think about their racial privilege. Yeah. Mm -hmm. New Jersey College hosted a diversity workshop for students and faculty that asked participants to explore their racial privilege as part of diversity education series. The College of New Jersey Office of Institutional Diversity... Ooh, institutional. Fancy name. Equity and Inclusion hosted an event called Racial Privilege of Primer, during which, according to the Signal student newspaper, participants were told to put on their racial clothing to explore effects of racial privilege. Participants during the meeting, according to Signal, were asked at one point to close their eyes and answer 50 questions based on activist Peggy McIntosh's unpacking the white knapsack. I don't have a white knapsack. 
White participants were asked to think about how the presence of privilege and affected their lives, while people of color were asked to think about the negative impacts of whitey. Students also discussed their feeling of privilege in a group after the activity with the goal of understanding their privilege meant to students who were white and to those of color. Cynthia Fulford, Assistant Director of Support for Teacher Education Program at TCNJ, told Campus Reform in an email, the invisible privilege afforded to group allow them to believe they get ahead based solely on working hard and doing the right things. Well, that's actually what happens. Work hard, do the right things, you succeed in life. But see, this is, this is where they want us to go. No. Black people can't work hard and get ahead. Yeah, they can. Fulford also commented the number of obstacles citing education, employment, and home ownership hinder hardworking people of color and that many white attendees said how it was eye-opening to them. If you don't have a balanced view for someone else in the room who isn't black, then you may be unintentionally skewing the power and need for the article. Yeah. I don't see myself going to that. Harvard guests tell students charity is harmful, used to cover up injustice, and he's on MSDNC all the time. Ahmad Gredahardis, author of Winner Take All, The Elite Charade of Changing the World, spoke at Harvard Institute of Politics in November. Gredahardis began his speech by noting that the venue, I probably should figure out people's names before I cover them, a name for John F. Kennedy Jr., maybe the one space at Harvard not named after a random rich guy who gave a lot of money and joking that it would soon be named after Jeffrey Epstein. Almost all the rest of the space at Harvard, he lamented, are named after large donors to Harvard. He went on to observe that hyper-rich people are always doing everything they could to change the world. Why is this happening? Gara Hardis explained that the more an individual or entity is harming the public, the more it will advertise what they are doing to help the community. Harvard, he claims, is enabling this flaw with social society by accepting money from countless donors without looking into where the money comes from. <clears throat> what if all the generosity is the wingman of a system of injustice, he said, but going on to explain to the students that the only way the millionaires and billionaires are able to exist is because of the surplus virtue created by positive entities like charities and university. He explains that bad people have a moral virtue deficit, which causes them to make a trade with entities that hold virtue surplus in order to keep their name clean. Really? He stayed up all night to come up with that crazy shit. Yeah, he's a dude with like four foot hair and it's gray. Yeah, he's an idiot. Climate protesters who disrupted Harvard Yale football game Learn their punishment. At least 29 protesters who rushed the field to protest divestment during the November 23rd Harvard-Yale football game must now complete community service and reappear in front of the court of Connecticut judge in January. The judge handed down a five-hour community service requirement to 10 Harvard students and alumni, which each of them must complete by January 27th. About 19 Yale students and alumni were handed down the same punishment, according to Harvard Crimson. During the November 23rd game, they came out about climate. Yeah, we already know about that. Nobody wins. Yale and Harvard are complicit in climate injustice, stated one of the protesters. 50 people were charged with disorderly conduct, but only 19 got charged with having to do five hours of community service. That's a great, great punishment. Good job. Leftist students storm classes. A professor they disagree with as part of an art project. 
Yale University students stormed and protested classes tossed by professors with whom they disagree as part of what they called an art project, led by student Zavakar Manana. He's a white dude. That's a name he made up. Who was organizing the demonstration as part of a visual art capstone project. Protests began in November against Professor Emma Skye. Skye is a global affairs professor, is also a British citizen, serving as an officer of the British Empire. According to the Yale Daily News, five demonstrators stood outside Skye's classroom chanting, Open your eyes, open your ears, you are being taught by those you, you should fear. After attempts to enter the classroom to hand out pamphlets labeled Skye a war criminal were unsuccessful. The pamphlets also implied Sky was a puppet for supposed imperialism and technocracy. A word they made up. These allegations seem to stem from Sky's previous service as a commander of NATO's International Security Assistance Force in Afghanistan, along with advising the commanding general of U.S. forces in Iraq. So because of that, they go all fucking crazy. So there's our college crazy. We're going to go straight into gay shit. And I got a great little article. I, I some pansexual people. I once again, this is when I wish there was a YouTube channel. Of course, I would be kicked off because I say things negative about the LGBT mafia. Um, yeah, this is creepy. That's all I got to say. Hey, hey, hey! Bow, bow, bow. Low pump and cut. Hey. This is Tori. She fell in love with Travis and Ethan and Mark and Chris. Their four-way relationship is working wonders for them. The relationship could best be described by having Tori as the hub and all of us are spokes on a giant wheel. But not everyone understands the dynamic. I was like, oh, you're kidding, that you're joking. How will this poly relationship cope with a further addition to the family? And so who's the father of the baby? Creepy. Just creepy. CNN! The non-binary pronoun they has been named Merriam-Webster's Word of the Year. The American English Dictionary revealed that searches for the term have risen by 313% in the last year because people are going, what the fuck is this stupid shit? Laura Ingram came back with a great shot. My Word of the Year, Amphigori. A nonsense verse or composition, a rigmarole with apparent meaning which proves to be meaningless. <laughs> Eric Bjarmajanen, probably transphobes who want to screenshot it saying, look, it's only plural, but then found out the dictionary doesn't support them and ignored it. And then somebody shot back at him, Merriam Webster's transphobic or transphobe. Your cert, your word is not returned to search because it's not a word. If you notice when you type transphobe, there is no autocomplete. I am sure <clears throat> Google, MSN, and everybody is working on that most ricky tick because transphobic and transphobe are not words. That's some shit the left made up, and they're not in the dictionary. Hmm. 
A study of the world's most dangerous counties for LG, or country, excuse me, for LGBTQEIEIO travel reveal the good, the average, and the utterly grotesque starts off our gay shit. A correction, 1120. Sweden has now moved to number one, and Canada has now moved to number two. We were alerted to the fact that Sweden does not have hate crime protections, and Canada does have constitutional protections, which was misrepresented in our original data. Hmm, very interesting. So they gauge this on, uh, let me get my glasses, because this is like, I had to cut and paste this. Some good. Legalized same marriage, that's important. Worker protection, protection against discrimination, criminalization of violence, adoption recognition, is it a good place to live, illegal same-sex relationship, propaganda and morality laws, and they did those seven scales, um, they have other icons, civil unions, partnership, partnerships, protection for sexual orientation only, broad protection, incitement, hate crimes, yeah, there you go. So the worst uh, top uh, 20, Nigeria, Qatar, Yemen, Saudi Arabia, Tanzania, Iran, Iran, Sudan, Barbados, Malaysia, Malawi, Zambia, St. Lucia, Uganda, Pakistan, West Bank, Gaza, Kenya, Malvez, Jamaica, Ethiopia, Egypt, Algeria, Morocco, Oman, Tunisia, and Sri Lanka. And what is the driving factor? Yeah, that's Islam, but they don't talk about that in here. Um, let me see. Uh, what are the major countries? There's not a whole lot of majors. Mostly little countries. We, the United States, <clears throat> number 127. While homosexuality is no longer illegal in the United States, some states prohibit advocacy of homosexuality in schools. So we got a B minus. But yet we have an F plus from Glad and the gay mafia who act like it's like Stonewall. Which is so sad that I know what the fuck that is. Thanks to fucking Obama pandering and putting it in his acceptance speech. India Moore points out that gender binary is fiction, and we've all been non-binary all along. Oh, really? The 24-year-old best known for the role of playing Angela Evangelista on FX television series Pose, never heard of it, was named one of the most influential people in the world, and I've never heard of her, by Time Magazine this year. I just realized all identity is natural, non-binary, more tweeted on December 10th. No one is any one thing. Everyone is a compilation of multiple layers. The gag, we all have been non-binary all this time and didn't even know it. Her Twitter handle is, is love trans people. Yeah. In replies to tweets, many people pointed out that gender isn't black and white and the society likes to put people in neat boxes for simplicity, but that this doesn't reflect the nuances of life. Only computers are binary, one Twitter user replied. Well, that's really interesting because since the 2016 election, really since the 2012 election, 
Democrats put everybody in the South in a box, and every Christian in a box, and everybody who doesn't want to abort their baby after it came out of the vagina and is breathing and laying on a table, or for that matter, when they're in college, we're in a box. You put us in a label box, we're all deplorables, remember that? But, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, Make your Hanukkah, Yuletide, Kwanzaa gay, is a tweeter on this. Good person. I would say, based on my experience with my kids, we all start out agender. The older I get, the more I feel like gender is a constant state of becoming. Perhaps I would think that because I know identity as gender fluid. Other people were quick to point out the difference between a person's gender and the pronoun they use. I posed this week with this with a few NB people I've met. They were so quick to label me cis because I don't identify as they, but we all have a variance from gender norms identity that leads some to prefer a different pronoun and others to say they're just themselves. One person commented. Huh. This is like the new intellectual nut uh, Rubik's Cube. You know, everybody wants to just think through gender and makeup and talk really fancy when it's pretty fucking simple. If you have a dick, you're a man. If you have a vagina, you're a woman. Those are simple things. I can have a dick and dress like a woman, but I'm not a woman. I can go get my dick chopped off and made uh, all that skin and my nutsack, as that nice little author said last podcast we touched the subject. Uh, they can make it into a vagina, but I don't have ovaries, so I'll never really be a woman. You can slap titties on me, but I still won't be a woman. And the vice versa goes for women who want to be men. You're always going to be biologically what you are. It's called fucking science. <clears throat> Next article, and these all come from Pink News today. Yeah. Pink News was hopping. Gay people masturbate more than straight people, but fantasize less about their exes. This is a survey. The new survey has revealed that gay people masturbate more than straight people, but fantasize less. Surgeons and gay men health expert Dr. Evan Goldstein surveyed more than 1,000 Americans of various sexual orientations, sexual experience, relationship status, and genders about their masturbation habits and preferences. The survey found that average straight American masturbates about 12 times per month. But this increased to 14.2 times per month for their gay counterpart. Goldstein also wanted to know what people think about why they masturbate. And while celebrities took the top spot with 34.4% of the people fantasizing about them, ex-partners came in at a close second with 33.6. Only 25% of respondents said that they just fantasize about their current partner. But then when separated by sexual orientation, there was a contrast between the fantasies of gays and straight people. 34.9% of straight people admitted to thinking about exes while they're flying solo, but less than a quarter of gay people said the same. While most people said they felt positive emotions about masturbation, sadly, 7.8% said they felt guilt or shame. Goldstein added, it is virtually impossible to separate discussion on porn and masturbation in the 21st century. We asked our respondents about their porn preferences and pulled out our most interesting insight. The survey found that people who have never had sex are more than twice as likely to primarily watch solo performer porn and almost one in five gay people primarily watch straight porn when masturbating. Previous research have also found that it's uncommon for people to watch porn that does not align with their own sexual orientation, but they just said 18% of gay people watch straight porn. 
So what does that say? They don't want to actually uh, acknowledge it, but that actually says that these people are just doing it because it's a fad, maybe? Is that Tony's theory? Tony's theory of the new transgender gay shit? It's like straight edge now? Straight edge for my kids? For those that have been with the show, that's when they didn't have uh, meat, corn syrup, drink, smoke, weed. They didn't do anything. They were all straight edge. And then a year later, they were all stoned out of their gourd, chomping on burgers. And that's what this is now. The cool fad for kids. Because you get extra attention if you say you're gay. You get special treatment if you're gay or transgender now. You're a protected class at schools. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they go back and puberty really kicks in. And then they find out who they are and they go, no, I like titties. Yeah, it happens. All right. uh, You need to see black gay poet Dean Atta perform this moving coming out poem. Gay News says we need to see this, so let's listen to it. How to come out as gay. Don't. Don't come out unless you want to. Don't come out for anyone else's sake. Don't come out because you think society expects you to. Come out for yourself. Come out to yourself. Shout, sing it, softly stutter. Correct those who say they knew before you did. That's not how sexuality works. It's yours to define. I'm Dean Atta, and I am also the Black Flamingo, and this is a character I've created to celebrate being black and queer, standing out, but being fabulous with it. Being effeminate doesn't make you gay. Being sensitive doesn't make you gay. Being gay makes you gay. The thinking behind my poem, How to Come Out as Gay, is advice I would give to my 15-year-old self. Be a bit gay. Be very gay. Be the glitter that shows up in unexpected places. Be typing on WhatsApp, but leave them waiting. Throw a party for yourself, but don't invite anyone else. Come out to one person first, someone that you trust, someone that you want to, um, you know, have the support of when you then go on to come out to other people. Yeah, I had to cut that off. That goes on for like another five minutes. I can't play it. Okay. Uh, Once again, I play this stuff just to once again... I know I'm reestablishing a negative, but it, it's a mental illness. I, I don't care what anybody says. I don't care. I mean, he can do whatever he wants, and I'm not bashing, and I don't want to stop him from being his true self, but his true self's pretty fucked up. Looking, uh, Jonathan Groff joins the already super queer cast of The Matrix 4. Jonathan Groff will join gay actor... Neil Patrick Harris and trans director Lena Wojcicki on the set of Matrix 4. Which makes me not want to watch the movie. Trans woman epically shuts down transphobe who claims God only made two genders and viral TikTok. Once again, they always trump these up as viral, but I never heard of any of this shit. I didn't see it on Twitter. And I go to the feed, so if this was viral, I would see it, because they would shove it down your neck. They're always shoving gay shit down your neck. Trans woman was the hero we needed, but in absolutely no way deserved what she found. A transphobic TikTok user today. Uh, Anti-trans user asserted a video that there are only two genders. Anti-trans. Her tweet, so I found this little transphobic piece of shit, decided to call him out. Retweet to raise awareness that transphobia is never okay. Let's listen to this bullshit. 
Yeah, that was the video. That was a viral video of stupid music and a tranny flipping off a guy. And they didn't include the audio. And that was supposed to be the viral impact moment where a transphobic person was put in their place with a sick beat. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Going to go to a music break and go back to Christmas music to try to cleanse ourselves of this craziness. We come in, we're going to hear another transgender person who literally says, because she was detained at an airport, probably because she set off, like, I've been detained, everybody's been detained. If the little sensor that thinks that there's gunpowder, you get a full search. She, of course, or he, or it, or whatever the fuck it is, said it's because they're transgender. And this was another Pink News viral video that nobody heard of. Santa can keep the hi-fi set. There's something that is better yet. I want your Christmas kisses. Lots of nice presents, they're all right But baby, they can't hold me tight I want, ooh, your Christmas kisses Your Christmas kisses Wrap them up pretty one by one Two by two, three by three Then when you've got the wrapping done Give them all to me after the mistletoe is hung, the tree is trimmed, the carol sun. I want ooh, ooh, your Christmas kisses. Then when you've got the wrapping done, give them all to me. The tree is trimmed, the carol sung. I want, ooh, I want, ooh, I want, ooh, your Christmas kisses, your Christmas kisses, your Christmas kisses. Poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. Up. That trans people have to literally go through that. <sighs> I know it's literally so fucking dramatic to like cry over fucking airport, but like it's so annoying how literally trans people have to go through this and like get detained. <laughs> Ugh, I just can't. 
So, of course, they pushed this out. This was pushed out by a whole bunch of GLAD, LGBTQ rights groups, blah, blah, blah. And then there's a response from the airport, and that was not what it was. So what I said, they got hit. Everybody gets hit on that thing. I had a bag that I never took to the gun range, but every time I flew, I got detained. They went through it. They didn't cavity search me, but they went through all my fucking shit, and it didn't seem right. I had a good friend when I was uh, doing all that political bullshit for the community. He looked Arab. I used to get angry because they every time they'd stop him, I'd say, the fuck, just because he's a person of color? I mean, I sounded like a liberal because it was it didn't make no sense. He didn't pop on any of the tests, but he always got the backdoor search. And he'd always say, Tony, it's no big deal. Don't get upset. And I would get pissed because it did look like they were just singling him out. And he was a great guy. He was from India. Funnest guy. Andy, won't say his last name. Good guy. And he got fucked with, and I thought it was wrong. But it wasn't because you were tranny you got stopped, lady. Dude. It, you took, once again, a moment, and it you made it something else because it pushes your cause. And that's why it's hard for most normal people to go, I feel really bad for these trans people getting treated wrong. When you really can't find any proof they're getting treated wrong, if you look like a clown show, you're not going to be the front counter at McDonald's. I wouldn't be the front counter at McDonald's. Right now, as a fat, bald dude, I'm sure they're not going to hire me to be the face of their organization. And I wouldn't run away going that it's fat phobia or bald phobia or any other phobia. It's called business. If you present yourself in a way that's a little flamboyant, most businesses don't want you on the counter. It's a simple concept. Moving on, the the no-brainer headline that was huge on the gay side of the Internet. More British people are in favor of the monarchy than gay sex or abortion. Oh my gosh, are you sure? Really? The British Societal Social Attitudes annual survey tracked changes in people's social, political, and moral attitudes. It notes a marked liberalization of attitudes to sex, sexuality, and relationship, and gender identity since the survey began in 1983. Although it's clear most Brits share an increasingly socially liberal outlook, the most recent study found that more people are in favor of a monarchy than gay relationships. More than 7 in 10 Britons believe it's very or quite important for the country to continue to have a monarchy, while two-thirds, 66%, say sex between adults of the same sex is not wrong at all. This is like doing a survey. Pizza or kale? They're not even the same things. But, okay. And support for allowing an abortion if the woman doesn't want to have a child is up is at 69%, up from 60 in 2005. It's possible that in future, LGBTQ support could overtake that of the royal family as approval for same-sex relationship has risen steadily since 1980. Support for the royal family dropped drastically around the time of Princess Wales' separation from Diana, and its highest point recently was in 2012, the time of the Queen Diamond Jubilee, but it dipped again after that. So... Brits are bad people because they'd rather have what they've had forever or a trend that is the flavor of the month for liberals. Okay. 
New York Times panics again over Trump rescinding transgender protections. Okay to kill now? The story by reporter Lola Fadula and photographer Annie Flanagan, who shares a story byline for a sympathetic shot of no less than five subjects in the article, is the latest overheated, unjournalistic genuflication to the aggressive side of the transgender movement while conveniently conflating gender identity with post-surgery transgender people. Nicholas Tabbitt, a graduate student at Kent State University in Ohio, is transgender, was told in they that because of President Trump's transgender ban in the military, he would no longer be eligible for placement as an army officer he could continue participating in the reserve officer training corps program but the benefits that he joined for health insurance and student loan forgiveness were no longer available to him note these aren't necessarily people who have undergone operations or therapy to change their sex but simply have changed their personal gender identification a vital distinction distinction that the supposedly pro-science times keeps muddying in fact it's odd that the paper is able to talk about transgenders at all since according to the paper's own previous hysterical coverage they had been eliminated a year ago by trump fiat Mr. Tabbitt's experience is just one version of a broader story unfolding across vast portions of the federal government as the Trump administration has rolled back a wide array of protections for transgender people, many of them put in place during the Obama administration. Fadula relayed the transgender argument in the most benign terms. The Education Department rescinded his Obama-era rule that allowed transgender students to use the bathrooms of their choice based on their gender identity. The Justice Department has moved to roll back protections for transgender people in federal prisons, while the Department of Housing and Urban Development is trying to reverse protections for transgender people in homeless shelters. The Office of Personal Management has suspended protection for transgender employees of federal contractors. Administration officials and their allies say they are protecting the rights of people who do not want to share bathrooms or sleeping accommodation with transgender people, while safeguarding the religious and moral freedoms of medical professionals and others. Civil rights cuts two ways, and the administration is merely shifting the emphasis, supporters say. I agree. I think there's a principle that all Americans benefit from not being forced to violate their conscience, somebody from the Heritage Foundation said. But to the people who identify as transgender, less than 1% of the population, the comprehensive nature of the policies feels mystifying. If transgenders are less than 1% of the population, why does the Times cover them so obsessively? At its lowest point, the article suggests Trump policies could be literally killing transgenders. At least 22 transgender people have been fatally shot or killed in 2019, according to the Human Rights Campaign. Nearly all of them were black women. Some fear that the Trump administration policies could be interpreted by some as a signal that such attacks are acceptable. Oh yeah, that's a stretch. Mimi Leme, who lives in Massachusetts with a nine-year-old transgender son, said Washington's policies were having a real-world impact. Some transgender children in the face of bullying and ostracism will avoid going to the bathroom at school if they cannot choose one that matches their gender identity. I've spoken to people who have developed infections, she says. In May, Equality Florida LGBT rights group organized a conference of homeless shelters managers and housing policymakers to go over the Obama administration protection for transgender people in shelters. Later that same week, the Trump administration rolled them back. But what does the protection of transgender people look like in the real world, <clears throat> as opposed to the paper liberal blandishments? Sleeping next to a biological male at a shelter for abused woman or undressing in front of a biological boy could be an understandably stressful, perhaps traumatic experience for women. 
Before announcing its plan to weaken protection for transgender people who are homeless, the Department of Housing and Urban Development removed links to documents that list best practices for emergency shelters serving transgender. The story, which again led the paper national coverage in Saturday edition, ended with non-journalistic emotionalism. Ms. LeMay has been having conversations with her son about the administration action. She said, tell, she tells him that the administration does not understand transgender people, but the families like theirs can change people's hearts and minds by telling their stories. In October 2018, the paper embarrassed itself with its panicky coverage of the Trump administration initial stand for science by defining people in biological terms under the headline, at rallies and online, transgender people say they won't be erased. That same month, the Times ran the online headline, Transgender Could Be Defined Out of Existence Under Trump Administration. No. All of this is a big no. Nobody's stopping them from doing anything. They're just protecting the 99.3% rights. And that's what it's about. There was no reason during this that the Obama administration could have just done what any other administration would have done, which is say, all establishments will have a third bathroom. Hell, label it transgender bathroom. Give them their own shitter. Since gender doesn't matter to them, They can shit in the third gender, which is the funniest thing about all of this. They're the ones telling us gender is a binary construct, social construct. We just made this shit up. We've been forcing it down people's neck. We're all not gendered. So why is the bathroom thing such a huge deal? We got to let people who think they're men take a dump in the man's bathroom and Men who think they're women take a dump in the women's bathroom. But if gender doesn't exist, why do you fucking care where you take a shit? I'm asking for a friend. Washington Post gender colonists, Hillary's a gift to us, Melania's garage sale trash. Let's read this. Washington Post gender and society columnist Monica Hess is a lot like her colleague Robin Gavon, the fashion columnist. It doesn't matter what their supposed beats are. They coo over liberal women and brutalize the conservative women. Gavon just finished whacking Melania Trump for wearing a coat to reveal the White House Christmas decoration after trashing Jim Jordan for failing to wear a coat. A year ago, Hess was trashing Ms. Trump for the Christmas decorations, the terrifying aberration formation currently looming in the White House East Colonnade. Remember that one? Yeah. Now has trashing Melania's garage sale lampshade. Imagine a journalist describing Hillary Clinton or Michelle Obama with that term. Her column began, A new unauthorized biography of Melania Trump is titled Free Melania. And all of the words refer to the left-wing fantasy meme that the First Lady is prisoner begging for liberation. The comma demands unpacking. Is it a stylistic choice? Another word missing? Free Melania? Did it mean imply the First Lady like a garage sale lampshade is available to a good home? Could you imagine that being written about a Democratic POTUS or FLOTUS? Two months ago, Hess was sniffing the heady drug of imagining Hillary Clinton had beaten Trump. Hillary's a gift. The gift is all her complications. The gift is being able to tell her to go away while simultaneously wishing she would never leave. Because they despise the Trumps, no one can really see the post-commentaries on First Lady as anything but anger management. 
in their symbolism is in everything Melania Trump does or not. Is Melania Trump playing five-dimensional chess against the rest of her checkers playing family or not? Will we ever know? Doesn't even matter. Truly, which is the most unsettling interpretation of Melania Trump? That all the odd stuff she does has been intentional, but she's bizarrely choosing a co- communicate in fashion code. That was an article. Rather than communicate using one of the five human languages she speaks. Or she... she or that she has no plan at all. That she wakes up and throws on pussy bows and slogan jackets and nobody surrounding her thinks to say that the rest of the country is merrily rolling toward pandemonium and meaning, and meanwhile she's being again planning her holiday decorations six months in advance. Perspective. Look, maybe this isn't, just isn't Melania Trump thing, but that's fine. I've wondered whether Melania Trump is a genius. I've wondered whether she's an idiot. I've wondered why I wonder about her at all. Reading this, it's easy to conclude Monica's right. Why bother writing this piece? Why would anyone read it without feeling you just wasted five minutes of your life? We get it. You're mad this woman is first lady. And like everyone else at the Post, you're not getting over it. That's sexism. That is just sexism. And once again, it's I, I, I cover these stories, though they might be trivial, because this is liberalism. They demand you treat women equally. In fact, they demand you treat women who aren't even women equally or better. Unless they're conservative. Then fuck them, motherfuckers. So they write this that Hillary's the gift. And then this article comes out. Hillary Clinton loudly declares she'd never even been tempted to have a lesbian affair. And that angers proud lesbian writer. Former Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton loudly declared radio shock jock Howard Stern that contrary to numerous long-standing rumors, she's never even been tempted to have a lesbian affair. I actually like men. Clinton also told Stern during Wednesday's interview that her pre-Bill Clinton boyfriend was really handsome and resembled a Greek god. Upon hearing Clinton say she likes men, Stern pushes for more information. Raise your right hand, he told the former U.S. Secretary of State. You've never had a lesbian affair. Amid laughter, Clinton answers with loud denial. Never, never, never. Never even been tempted. Thank you very much. Clinton's remark angered proud lesbian writer. But in the aftermath, a writer who has described herself as a proud lesbian said she was disappointed with Clinton's words and tone. It's so frustrating when a public figure like Hillary feels the need to dispel lesbian rumors in a way that equates lesbianism or queerness with salaciousness and that ultimately what I dislike about the way she phrased it, specifically the word tempted, Trish Bendix, a member of the National Lesbian and Gay Journalists Association. <laughs> Does every gay person belong to association? I think there's a way to refute untrue ideas about one's own identity without saying something damaging to others. During an October interview, Clinton reportedly seemed uneasy about the notion of, among the pro-transgender crowd that biological males, even those still stro- sporting beards and penises, can be women, which preceded daughter Chelsea replying affirmatively regarding the issue. Er, I'm just learning about this, Hillary answered the Daily Mail. It's a very big generational discussion because this is not something I grew up with or even saw. It's going to take a lot more time to effort to understand what it means to be defining yourself differently. Oh, my God, and she wants to still run for president. Don't you understand? You can't say these kind of things. So, yeah. So Hillary's the gift that keeps giving, but the gay community, once again, remember, 
Donald Trump was for gay marriage before any Democrat ever was. He was for gay marriage. But yeah, he's rolling back transgender rights. No, he's not. They didn't have rights to use any shitter in the world. Obama did it for a month. It wasn't going to last. He was trying to get Hillary elected. Brave New World. New York Times praises artists revealing art history with LGBTQ characters. God, we need that. The New York Style magazine unveiled its weekend cover on Wednesday, which depicts queer artists who specialize in updating art of the past with today's unhinged sexualities. Imagine American Gothic, but instead of the traditional heterosexual couple, you got two lesbians of color standing in front of the farmhouse, painted plant Planned Parenthood pink, and surrounded by their cats, which they cutely refer to as the kids. Author Jess Green painted the macabre picture for us with his piece titled, How Today's Queer Artists Are Revising History. In it, he wrote on about latest remarkable feat of LGBTQ imagination, where queer artists such as Debbie Grossman reimagined photos or paintings of different historical settings, like traditional rural American towns in the 1940s, and replaced the cisgendered people identify as biological, with gay, bi, or trans characters. I, too, am frozen in time when I look at Grossman's photographs. Suggest not an invented false history, but a real secret one, as if the queerness had always been there. He was referencing a series of old photos taken in 1940 called Pie Town that were photoshopped by the queer artist to create wives where husbands had been by removing Adam Apples, Lantern Jaws, and Five O'Clock Shadows. My Pie Town and constituent her attempt to make the history I wish was real. I get even weirder when Green suggests that wiping away this historical patriarchy is a repair and also an act of queer vengeance. He wrote, for if my pie town is an act of repair, it also at times verges on vengeance as each man is forcibly digitally resexed. He also mentions that the women are resexed in a way that is they are given their sex back. Oh, let me guess, because they've been liberated from the patriarchy? As lesbians, they somehow look so much happier, he claimed, like they're getting some on the regular. And I'm not reading the rest of the article. Yeah, that's great. But it's not a mental... There's nothing wrong with these people. They're the normal ones. You're the piece of shit. Because you don't see the world in gender. That doesn't exist. But it does for them. It's so confusing. Showtime's latest dark comedy profiles suicidal fat queer dyke. Showtime's December 8 premiere of Work in Progress titled 180 Almonds is the latest dark comedy from Abby McKaney, who plays Abby, a self-described fat queer dyke who has done shit in her life. And we're not going to read the rest of that, and we're not going to watch it. Disney's high school musical series introduces first gay teen romance, because Disney and ABC and ESPN are all in on this shit. High School Musical, the series, unfortunately seems to be continuing in sad decline into liberal propaganda. As predicted, the show's piles on its progressive image with a franchise first gay romance. The December 6th episode, Homecoming, focuses on, of course, on the school's homecoming dance. The musical choreographer, Carlos Frankie Rodriguez, nervously decides to ask cast member Seb Josefini to be his date. Seb appears to say yes, but on the night of the dance, Carlos is left alone on the dance floor. He supports himself by dancing alone to a generic Be Yourself pop song, only to discover Seb arrived after all. The two of them share a slow dance together as the relationship begins to bloom, 
And we need to shove that down our kid's neck. That's why I'm going to get Disney+. Plus. You just gave me the reason. Disney. Yeah. Judge who ruled father of James Younger as saying son's transition got removed by the mother. So now the ruling doesn't stand because that's how they're going to play this. That's fucking horse shit. The New Republic attention journalist, we're getting out of gay shit finally, we're currently seeking a full-time identity writer based in either New York or Washington, D.C. The New Republic is expanding our team and looking for an experienced full-time writer for a forthcoming vertical devoted to issues of race, gender, and identity in the American political scene. Traditional debates on the left about the place of identity politics versus claims of universalist income and social support have proven increasingly obsolete under a hard-right governing regime that indiscriminately wages class and identity war on what it takes to be enemy population. Now more than ever, the politics of class and identity must be affirmed jointly as the politics of resistance and liberal left revival. Rachel Tanian replies... How many Denny boxes does the candidate need, and do they have to agree with you in order to be considered? We all know how outlets like yours love to silence women, LGBT, and other minorities if they don't think what you tell them to think. And she was a lesbian lady who literally just dogged the shit out of (laughs) I I just had to read that, because if you put on, if you had, okay, uh, Life Science, if they tweeted... Looking for a beat writer for this, this, and this. Must be Christian, must be this, must be that, must be that. A, Twitter would delete the tweet because it would be hate speech. And we'd hear about it on the news. It would be fucking wrong. You can't go out there and ask for shit like that. That's against hiring practices. That's a violation of EO. But you can put that out because that's basically saying that you have to be a nut job resistance member to get this job. This one cracked me the fuck up. Media gush over body positive Lizzo twerking in a thong at Lakers game. Critics blasted as fat phobic and sexist. And I guess Lizzo's is that, that ad for Walmart. I did my hair. Let me see if I can pull up the song because I didn't know who the fuck she was and I had to look it up. And that song is annoying as shit. Lizzo. I did my hair. I think that's her. Good as hell. Yeah. I think this is the ad. You know, most of these songs I only get there. Yeah, that song, which is on an ad, and it just drives me fucking crazy. So that's who she is. Wearing a black thong and buttless black dress, hit sing song hit singer songwriter. I don't think that's a hit. I think it's annoying as fuck, as previously stated. Body positive icon Lizzo twerked for the camera while standing on courtside a Los Angeles Laker game on Sunday evening. The media, especially left feminist-leaning magazines and website, gushed over the singer's bare booty gyrating and those who criticized the truth her singer for being inappropriate considering NBA games are frequented by kids and families were dismissed as fatphobic. They got a lot of phobias. They got, everything's phobic nowadays. Sexist and sexist, sorry. Uh, here's a video. Uh, Sheen Magazine singer Lizzo arrived at a Laker game wearing a revealing outfit of choice. She was spotted dancing at the game when the cameraman put her on the jumbotron to show the crowd. Once realizing she was on camera, she proceeded to turn around and twerk. 
Elle magazine gushed over Lizzie's, Lizzo's outfit and twerking moves and praised her for a brazen confidence. The singer wore a shirt dressed with the back cut out so everyone could see the black thong she was wearing with her fishnet stockings. Then she flouted it when she twerked for the Jumbotron. This is honestly the kind of brazen confidence and Joe de Vere we should all take into 2020. E! News tied their piece of the singer's antic. Lizzo's a true winner after twerking in her thong courtside Laker game. And they go through the same thing. The culture-driven outlet said Lizzo, whose full name is Melissa Vivian Jefferson, was also praised by feminist Cosmopolitan magazine. Lizzo put her own sexy spin on the statement outfit, swapping out her trousers for a black t-shirt dress, which sounds simple enough until you see the cutout detailing her bum, revealing her thong, matching fishnet tights. Oofed. And they, they said oofed. Jezebel also loved Lizzo. Good, fun looks. You should be able to trot around with her butt out at a family-friendly event. Americans could stand to be less prudish, the outlet declared. And the Guardian ran a piece, Leave Lizzo Alone. Why her thong dress should be should command respect. Lizzo dared to put the fashion envelope at the Lakers game, and ensuing outrage is heavily infused with fat-shaming, the Guardian argued. Those who were less than blown away by the good-as-hell singer was quickly ridiculed for the obvious bigotry. New York Times columnist Charles Blow, you know he's coming in because he hates Whitey, for instance, scolded body shamers for not being offended. This is what he said. The body shaming and the response to this tweet is so disappointing. There's so much flesh shown in sports and around it. Even seen women pole vaulting, also dancers, cheerleaders, shirtless men with painted bodies. But somehow, Lizzo's out of bounds. Give me a break. Radio host Bevy Smith suggests Lizzo haters were sexist. Hateful humans won't rest until Lizzo feels bad about herself, like so many other women, regardless of size. Folks don't get that attacked. Tax on Lizzo is what happens to women, all women, costing their lives. You can literally be feeling good as hell, but folks don't like it. Activist and columnist George M. Johnson threw out the fat phobic accusation against Lizzo critics. I had Lizzo does everything with her ass out at this point. <laughs> At the very least, it will make some questions. Their phobias around fatness and why she triggers so many things a lot of you'll never comment about on accepted bodies. Lizzo is constantly praising the media for a body-positive message and self-love advocacy. I take self-love very seriously, the singer told Elle Magazine in October. And I t- I, I'm going to finish this article in a second. I just got to read it because this stuff is so fucking stupid. And I take it seriously because when I was younger, I wanted to change everything about myself. I didn't love who I was. And the reason I didn't love who I was is because I was told I wasn't lovable by the media, by people, school, by not seeing myself in beauty ads, by not seeing myself in television, by lack of representation. My self-hatred got so bad that I was fantasizing about being other people. But you can't live your life trying to be somebody else. What's the point? See, this is where we go in this in this country right now. If I went to a game and I had a thong and I turned around and jumbotron my fat ass, nobody would be on Twitter saying, "Oh, that's what we need to see. That's great. He's he's body positive." Or if I was shaking my Buddha belly, nobody would say that was okay because I'm a white guy. But because a woman of color does it. Oh, you're a bunch of racist, sexist pieces of shit. No, no, they're not. It's just the fact that that's inappropriate. Nobody, I, I was in a, I was in a Walmart during the summer. And this girl, and I'm not, you know, hey, if I was young, she was gorgeous. She was a gorgeous girl. 
She was wearing a fishnet bodysuit with floss. Floss. I saw more of her pubic area than was covered, and you could not see the thong. She was basically naked. She had fake titties, barely covering her nipples. They're fully exposed. And floss that was low, like one of those bajillion jobs, like one inch just covering the vagina lips. I guess I should be more precise. Labia. We'll say labia. Because I remember biology class, which used to be biology class. I'm sure they don't call that anymore because it's like those are uh, female genitalia that you could call female, but you could also call a male. You call whatever you want. Don't file a complaint. I'm just a teacher. But I was offended. I didn't think that was a pro. It's fucking Walmart. There's a bunch of kids. Now, granted, there's whole fucking memes about all the craziness you see in Walmart. But the point being is kids don't need to see that. So when people, the majority of us who are normal go, that's kind of not appropriate, man. It's cool. Go to the club and have your ass hanging out. But I don't understand why you've got to do that in public. Oh, you're sexist, racist, fat phobe. No, no. It could be a hot chick. It could be a fat chick. It could be whatever the fuck it is. It's just not appropriate to have your ass hanging out in public. And I think that's really, it filters over to the transgender, gay, mafia bullshit. Majority of Americans can fucking care less if you suck a dick. We just don't want to see your ass and chaps. That's all it's about. But every parade, what do they do? They're vulgar. That's why people have a problem with the gay community. It's not that they're gay. It's that you're just unhinged in public. And you got to shove your sexuality in everybody's face. When if me and my wife, two middle-aged people who are chunky, were bumping and grinding in a Walmart, you lose your mind. You put out a whole Twitter thread. It'd become a Twitter moment. Why do heterosexual people have to be so gross? That's what it would be. I mean, but you're, you don't fucking have any decorum. That's what it's about. It's not your sexuality. It's not your gender. It's not that she's black. It's not that she's chubby. It's just decorum. Moving along. Nike swimsuit brings in the hijab. Yeah, hijab. just want to say it's official now. I think we covered it before. Megan Rapahoe calls out Sports Illustrated lack of diversity in Sports Person of the Year award speech. As one of just four women to win the Sports Person of the Year award, she wasted no time in putting SI in the hot seat, saying in an acceptance speech, it is truth that I'm only the fourth woman deserving of this award? I don't think so. Is it true so few writers of color deserve to be featured in the publication? No. Is it true so few women voices deserve to be heard and deserve to read the publication? I don't think so. Stephen Miller sums it up. Thanks for the award, you sexist racists. <laughs> it's true. Richard Jewell biography or movie faces boycott calls over egregious sexist depiction of a reporter. The AGC says the movie version of the reporter Kathy Scruggs, a real woman who died in 2001, is written as someone who gets story tips in exchange for sexual favors with the FBI agent and behaves unethically and recklessly as and other people, including members of the media, agree. 
Please do not pay to see the movie that features fictional female journalist who sleeps with other sources of her story. It's egregiously sexist, demeaning, insulting trope. And at this stage, I don't see an appropriate response other than a flat-out boycott, Slate's Mark Joe Stern said in Monday afternoon. Stern continued in 2019, smart, thoughtful people have condemned this offensive trope loudly, consistently for years. Blah, blah, blah. They're just trying to find every goddamn reason for people not to go see this movie, because the fact of the matter is, it shows what our media is. They ruined a man's life. He did nothing wrong. That's what they're doing now. For saying something that could be construed as racist, or saying something that could be... I mean, just look at fucking Roseanne. Yeah, it was inappropriate, but we call people monkeys all the time that are white, nobody had a problem, and they show a picture of Bush as a monkey... But they, she shows a freaking Planet of the Apes picture, which was a fucking portrait of that piece of shit Islamist. She loses her career. This happens all the time. If this was on a major thing, me just saying that, I would lose my ability to put out a podcast. You are destroying people off your perceptions and your worldview, not what everybody else sees. Because, once again, we've made racist mean nothing. The word racist is nothing anymore because everything's racist, for fuck's sake. Gillette. God damn, they're still doing this. Boys will be boys. This is the time we stop excusing bad behavior. Rethink and take action by joining us at The Best Man Can Be. CBS News, which is pimping its upcoming documentary, Speaking Frankly, Raising Boys. Ted Bunch, co-founder and chief developer officer of A Call to Man, an organization that aims to promote healthy and respectful manhood, says people are generally socialized to believe that men need to embody certain ideals in order to be accepted. We have coined a term called the man box, and that's a short form for the collective socialization of men that we've all been taught on some level. Not asking for help, always feeling like we have to be in control, dominating and have power over other things, not expressing an emotion except for anger. All these things are rigid notions of manhood. Feeling like we have to be in control, that we have to control things. Those are things that are rigid and they don't need to be, don't need to bend. And we need to stop making men be men. They need to wear skinny fucking jeans, drink chai lattes, and we'll see how the future goes for you, ladies. Because now you think that's what you want, but yeah, you're not going to. Portland. Oh, Matt. Matt. Portland wants private property owners to add mandatory rest spaces for the homeless. Oh, really? Portland, Oregon, like many other notable blue cities, is not immune to growing homelessness problem. Like San Francisco, California, Seattle, Washington, Portland is overrun with people sleeping, rough, many of whom suffer from drug addiction and mental illness. The, there are humane ways to handle the homeless problem, but it seems a Portland City Commission would rather change Portland's building codes to order, in order to force private property owners to accommodate members of the Portland homeless population. The city's Planning and Sustainability Commission, which writes and enforces the city building codes, approved a change to building guidelines in November that would require new construction to feature opportunities to rest and be welcome for those who do not number among the building's residents are customs. Customers, are you fucking shitting me? Get the fuck, fuck out of here. Yeah, that's going to be great for any other business. Big piles of shit in the front yard. Couple articles on Daisy Ridley. Yeah, these didn't go too well for her. Star Wars actress Daisy Ridley denies being privileged, gets blasted. 
Wow. In an interview with The Guardian, the Rise of Skywalker actress argued that her privileged background is what she attended a boarding school did not make her access to fame any easier. The privilege I have? How? No, generally how? As noted by the independent, Daisy Ridley family includes playwright Arnold Ridley, John Harry Ridley, um, blah, blah, blah. She also attended the independent Tring School for Performing Arts. Uh, yeah, she's pretty much rich. John grew up as a council estate in Peckham, and I think me and him are similar enough that no, really said. Also, I went to a boarding school for performing arts, which was different. I'm not saying that we're, what, what you're saying is wrong. i just never been asked that before, so I'm like, oh, I, I don't think so. As to whether or not her robust private education gave her confidence, really felt her big family deserved more of the credit. I think also it take me a little while to be okay with it. I was always fairly confident. I think that comes from being part of a big family who are all quite chadly. Needless to say, really was instantly trolled. John Boyega's one of the most appalling things about this Daisy Ridley interview is that in her four years of headlining one of the biggest franchises on earth, this is so painfully evident, the very first time anyone has truly in- invited her to critically confront and examine her privilege. People are already making threads about how cancel culture is bad. Nobody's trying to cancel Daisy Ridley. We're just saying she's dumb to vehemently deny her privilege and compare her struggle to John Boyega's. Instead of hoping Ridley Davis is canceled, let's hope this is a valuable lesson to her and other white people. The white privilege is real. We need to accept that, understand the injustice of it, and work to change it. In the same interview, Ridley said that she does not like talking about her political opinions, though she did knock Prime Minister Boris Johnson while adding that same people have issues with President Trump. Yeah, there you go. Next one, The Guardian, Daisy Ridley, J.J. Abrams wanted me... Warn me, the Star Wars is a religion. Daisy pretends in the interview that she is the smartest in the room. However, throughout the inter and the Guardian, we read there is a PR handler acting as a referee to keep her on the company message. However, they fail to stop her in time before making this sweeping statement. No, I don't feel I have to edit what I say. The things that make me angry are the things that make everyone angry. Everyone is annoyed with Bojo. Everyone has an issue with Trump. Everyone's person's away. She smiles blindly at me, almost apologetic, reluctant to expand. It's not that I don't talk about this stuff, but other people are so much more articulate than me to say it better. But it was interesting to hear that, and that's why I did that one article. They're sticking away from politics. Because this is the last Star Wars. They don't want another... Fucking uh, Sicario. To our abortion shit, Planned Parenthood. Yeah, this one cracks me up. Human rights for all, no exception. The entire world goes, except that baby. Fuck that baby. Kill that fucking baby. It's so true. And then this one from the Washington Post. Remember, democracy dies in the dark. Tell me you're not a liberal rag when you put this article out. This is a real article. Washington Post mocks miscarriage and abortion. Mandate funerals for sperm. Into a discussion about the treatment of the bodies of aborted and miscarried babies, the Washington Post Post brought a obnoxiously flippant parody piece purportedly to support funerals for sperm. In other words, present us with an apple and saying, this is a banana. Post columnist Alexa Petri wrote on December 4th in the opinion section, state legislators stop being cowards. Mandate funerals for all spermazoa. 
She began with a Pennsylvania bill that would no longer treat the dead bodies of premature babies as medical waste, but allow for the cremation or funeral services the parents request. What's wrong with that? They actually make babies. If you haven't watched on Apple um, Servant, folks, it's real. I looked up. It's it's a show about a family that lost their baby, and I guess she had a mental breakdown. So part of her recovery is to have a fake baby, like from like the leftovers. It looks real, but it's rubber baby, but it looks really really real, like your baby. And they make that. That's a real thing. People use it to get over the loss of a baby. Because unbeknownst to the abortion culture, some people really want babies. And when they die, they're really hurt about it. Okay, Pennsylvania, or perhaps Petrie put it mandating death certificates and the offering of funerals are fertilized over. How inequitable, she mocked. The peace only went downhill from there. Somehow she goes from calling the unborn babies fertilized ova to conflating them with fertilized spermazoa. Anyone with even a basic understanding of biology could tell you that fertilized egg is fundamentally different than sperm, you idiot. But they don't know biology, because remember, dicks are vaginas, vaginas are dicks. Petrie apparently missed Bio 101 when she went on with a fantastical equation feigning outrage that sperm will not be given the same respect as a damn baby. But all right-minded citizens must ask the question, why such concern for these fertilized spermazoa more than others? Again, different from a fertilized egg. These spermazoa pass into a beyond after making connections that elude millions of their brethren. Why honor them? Why reward further with who have already achieved so-called reward? What of their compatriots who know so no such good fortune. Why is what is their honor? Is in what is clearly thought to be clever, she went on to sarcastically and poetically call for laws to honor sperm. State legislators, you have much concern for the select few, remember the unfortunate millions. We must of course give honor above all to those who went to the halls of glory without gl- I'm not even reading this anymore. Uh, that's that's a major newspaper. Fuck you. That's what you think about babies. Fuck you. Jamila, Jamil, once again, making me not be able to watch the Misery Index, which I really like. She's still not done from her last podcast. She talks shit to everybody. She's still going. Receiving thousands of messages about how I made a mistake having an abortion seven years ago and how I must be a miserable person. I am, in fact, happy, thriving millionaire, madly in love with free time, good sleep, and a wonderful career in life. But thanks for checking. Didn't expect to receive so much love for tweet. And anyone who feels uncomfortable with the fact that I shouted out why my abortion allowed me to personally go on and achieve, I believe it's important for brown girls to see brown girls win big and be unashamedly proud because it's about brown girls. So she decided to do a picture. Where she's sitting like a dude with her legs spread and her hands in the middle like all ghetto. The choice is the landlords, not the tenants, nor the neighbors. Your uterus, your choice. And the entire world went, that doesn't even make sense. And no, you tried, but you fucking failed. You're an idiot and you're still pissing off. Just shut the fuck up! So I can go back and support and practical jokers. I tweeted Joe Gatto, but he never responded to me. But God, just shut up. But there could be a positive. Maybe her show will fail, and they'll go back to doing Impractical Jokers, which is what I want them to do. Kristen Chenoweth backs pro-life message, a new movie, shares personal experience, told from my gut. 
Emmy Award-winning actress Krista Chenel has published back the pro-life message share in a new Hallmark Channel movie in which 51-year-old actress stars. A Christmas love story, according to blogs Just Jared, features a scene where someone meets their birth mother for the very first time. Chenoweth, who was adopted herself, told viewers via Facebook, That scene happened to me. I am adopted, and I had this virtually same conversation with my birth mother. I remember my birth mom saying to me, can you ever forgive me? And I was like, there's nothing to forgive. You gave me such a great life. I got the right parents. Anyway, that scene is very special to me because we developed it around exactly what happened in my life. Chenoweth detailed how she felt blessed for both her biological mother and woman who raised her. One gave me a life, the other gave me a life. On social media, Chenoweth reaffirmed her support of pro-life message when she responded to Mallory Quigley, who serves as Vice President of Communication at Pro-Life Advocacy Group, Susan B. Anthony. OMG, beautiful pro-life message in Hallmark Channel Christmas Love Story movie starring Kristen Chenoweth, posted Quigley. Thank you, told from my gut, responded Chenoweth. You don't see that a lot. Later on in the article, I just want to let you know that you were an angel in my life a few years ago, the woman told Chenoweth. My best friend died in a car accident. His other best friend is actor Norman Butts, and Norbert sang at the memorial, and right before he went to the memorial, he ran into you. Chenoweth immediately knew what the questioner was referencing. I've always wanted to meet you, thank you, because when Norbert told you about what happened, you said, well, I want to pray for him, and you stopped in a Starbucks right then and prayed for him, and it meant a lot to everyone. Though Hollywood seems packed with folks shouting their abortions and pushing Planned Parenthood talking points at any and every opportunity available, there are some of the ranks who have been brave enough to push a pro-life message. Good for her. So, we're going to break away and do another Christmas music break, and we're going to come into Everything is Racist with Congressman Al Green.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Chestnuts Reed. roasting on an open file. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Yuletide carols. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. Everything is racist. Years ago, sir, I know that you introduced one of those first impeachment resolutions against Trump, and let's look at how that went down. It actually lost 364 to 58. How do you think this process ends if more evidence is revealed? And are you concerned at all that Americans are having a waning interest as this process drags on? Well, it was yesterday, in fact, that uh, we celebrated in a sense that we, we had something that was brought to the floor. Maybe I shouldn't say celebrate it. Let me just say that we brought to the floor the uh, articles for a vote. And we received uh, some 50-plus votes, and then the second time some 60-plus, and a third time 95 votes. So I believe that the American people understand that this is something that we must do at this point. Mm -hmm. I don't speak for all of the American people, but a majority seem to think, think so. Um, and I think that uh, we're moving forward in a in a very uh, cautious and prudent way, uh, which is what is expected. But I also think that if we don't include some of the things that are important to people of color, then I think that our business won't be finished, Ms. Witt. Mm -hmm. uh, I do believe, uh, ma'am, that we have to deal with the original sin. We have to deal with slavery. Uh, slavery was the thing that put all of what President Trump has done lately into motion. It's insidious scion uh, racism. And the president has played on racism and he's used that as a weapon to galvanize a base of support, to mobilize people. Uh, we cannot overlook what happened when he came down the escalator and, and just demeaned people of color, mm. when he talked about the S-hole countries. He has found a way to to, to use ugly words to his benefit and to the detriment of the people who are the object of his words. Uh, Emily Dickinson said, a word is dead when it is said, some say, I say it just begins to live that day. Uh, his words take on life and meaning and they hurt. And I know the people who are being hurt. And I, I came to Congress to represent them. Mm. And I cannot let it go. So I appreciate whatever we will do. But until we deal with the issue of invidious discrimination as it relates to LGBTQ community, the anti-Semitism, the racism, the Islamophobia, the transphobia, and also the misogyny uh, that he has uh, exemplified, I don't think our work is done. You know, sorry, yeah, impeaching a guy in uh, 2019 is going to deal with slavery from 1865. Okay. Federal agents of Chicago police were confiscating drugs and guns from luggage while rapper Juice World suffered seizure. I'm covering this not because I want to pounce on a guy who's dead. That's not what it's about. But once again, this is what they found on him. 70 pounds of weed, armor-piercing bullets, 
prescription painkillers. 41 vacuum-sealed bags of marijuana, 6 bottles of prescription codeine cough syrups, so he can make a scissor, 2 9mm pistols, a 40 caliber pistol, high-capacity ammunition magazines that were illegal there, armor-piercing bullets, illegal. They're being charged for illegally possessing guns, because they're felons, and it was a security. And I once again want to say, everybody says it's racist, the cops pull people over. Well, if you got 70 pounds of weed on you, they're probably going to arrest you, even if you're white. In fact, it doesn't matter what you look like. It's called laws. If you don't want 70 pounds of weed, codeine, piercing bullets, and pistols to be illegal, elect conservatives. And they probably won't, at least on the gun portion. <laughs> the weed portion, you're on your own. Officer, five officers, five others dead in ambush in New Jersey active shooter situation. I hate that I'm ending a show on another shooting. But this one, I just want you to hear the media real quick. It's in New Jersey, where police are investigating a deadly New Jersey shooting rampage as a targeted attack. Well, hundreds of shots were fired during a standoff, and they say that it lasted hours at a kosher grocery store in Jersey City. It's all part of a growing Orthodox Jewish community there. The city's mayor says surveillance cameras clearly show the suspects targeting this market. He didn't say, though, if this attack was anti-Semitic. Remarkable violence started near a cemetery around noon yesterday when police say 13-year veteran detective Joseph Seals approached the two suspects who opened fire and killed him. Police say the men then drove a stolen truck to the store, killed three more people, and held off police for hours. At the end, the two gunmen had died of gunshot wounds. Yeah, not a lot of talk there about anything. It could be anti-Semitic. Well, let's just put it this way. One of the people in the getaway car was an African-American man. That's who they're looking for. And they have not released the identities of any of these juveniles. But there's been a shitload of anti-Semitic attacks up in New Jersey, New York. And this was an ambush of cops. WABC reported the incident began at Bayview Cemetery when at least one shooter opened fire on a police officer. The outlet said the shooter then fled in a bodega and began firing. Quoted Hudson County officials saying that two officers have been shot. One of his head is in ambush. The outlet the shootout began when an officer investigating a homicide approached the suspects and was then shot and killed. Four other people were thought to be inside the bodega and they were they were victims of it and they have proof that these guys were scouting the bodega lauren walker so far the authorities have not identified the shooters who were killed in the firefight none of the three victims inside the store have been public identified the jersey officer is joe seals the assailant involved in a prolonged firefight in New Jersey that led to six people being dead, including one police officer and published anti-Semitic, anti-police post online. And investigators believe the attack was motivated by those sentiments. Investigators also found a manifesto-style note inside the assailant's van. The law enforcement official and another official familiar with the case said the document, which was described brief and rambling, suggested no clear positive motive for the shooting. Investigators also found a live pipe bomb inside the vehicle. 
So we wait till this morning, and finally we have uh, David Anderson and Francine Graham. They were both followers of the Black Hebrew Israelite movement, a designated hate group known to proselytize in the streets about anti-Semitic beliefs and the same people that were harassing the Catholic school kids in Washington. And we played on the show. New Jersey Attorney General Gerben Gural, also named Anderson and Graham, as a prime suspect in the beating death of Michael Rumberger, a 34-year-old Uber driver. So they were African-Americans. And they killed a cop, and they killed a bunch of Jewish people and targeted a Jewish deli. And there is no outrage. That's why I put it in news and social media nuggets. You won't hear a lot of talk about it. There won't be a lot of audio. CNN will not be in front of the deli. Because the shooters were African American. It doesn't fit their white supremacy stuff. But we heard these black Israelites during the Covington Catholic shit, and it was horrible, and the media ignored it and went out to the Catholic kids, not the fake Indian Ranger and the black Israelites. No, we got a white supremacy problem. Yeah. Okay. Just had to cover that shooting because I knew that's what it was. There was a, a leak online that said they were looking for a black getaway driver. And being that it's a Jewish attack and knowing the history of New York so bad that the New York Times won't even fucking report on it because it's a local issue and it doesn't fit their anti-white guy shit. They don't report on it. So no, I'm not a racist. It's just what's happening in New York and New Jersey. And our media ignores it while they go after the ghost of fucking the Tiki Torch. We have all these white supremacists out there. Oh, really? Asian restaurant in New York City forced to close because critics say white owner culturally appropriated Chinese cuisine. Pan-Asian restaurant that opened in New York City just eight months ago shuts its doors last week amid claims the white chef and career nutritionist, Arizel Haspel, culturally appropriated Chinese cuisine. NBC News reports that Lucky Lee's restaurant in Greenwich Village closed for good last Friday after being hit with a wave of accusation of racism. A sign posted on the door read, It is with a heavy heart that we're shutting our walks and ovens tonight. We have truly loved feeding and entertaining you and your families. We are very proud of our food and the space we created, but a lot needs to come together to make a restaurant work in New York City, and we wish it could have succeeded. Lucky Lee's was open just eight months, but faced allegation of cultural appropriation and outright racism before it was even opened. Restauranter Haspel is a former Instagram influencer turned lifestyle guru, health counselor, and jewelry designer whose Be Well with Ariel site gets millions of views per month from consumers looking to eat clean. Lucky Lee's was Haspel's first foray in the restaurant world. <clears throat> Unfortunately, Haspel didn't market Lucky Lee that way. We heard you're obsessed with lo mein but rarely eat it. You said it makes you feel bloated and icky the next day. Well, wait until you slurp up our high lo mein, not too oily or salty, Hospital Restaurant said on social media, embracing what NBC News and critics called a stereotype of dirty Chinese restaurants and MSGs. Yeah. Okay. Sounds great. Then Trump went and stepped on it. 
He said the following. And here tonight is Pastor Obed Waregi of Bethany Church in Nazarene in Miami. His congregation serves Thanksgiving meals to families in need, and now they are preparing their annual toy drive. Pastor Obed, thank you very much, and we really do appreciate you being with us. You're a special man who has done an incredible job. Uh, people are talking about you all over our country. What a great job you've done. Thank you very much, Pastor. And at Christmas, we remember this eternal truth. Every person is a beloved child of God. As one grateful nation, we praise the joy of family, the blessings of freedom, and the miracle of Christmas. On behalf of Milani and our entire family, Merry Christmas, and God bless you all. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you. Well, people got pissed off because he talked about Christmas being about Christ. And I don't know if I caught it in there because it's a really long soundbite and I edited it down. Because for liberals, Christmas is about bullshit. And it's got to be like a Christmas light fight. And I wanted to talk about it in this segment because I've been watching it. And it used to be this great show. Me and the wife loved it. Well, now they have everything. In every episode, you have to have a gay family. And the last one really was a nice display. Usually not, once again, gay bashing. Their displays are all that stupid shit with the fucking um, music-timed LED. It doesn't look Christmassy at all. But they had a lesbian couple from Feb, uh, Florida, and they had a really nice traditional Christmas with the blow-ups and uh, blow molds, and it, it was actually a really nice display. But every show... Out of the eight families, there are one to two gay families that they shove in there because it's ABC. Well, they went and went too far this time because the only buzz I could find on it, of course, isn't about the gay families every show. We cover six episodes, uh, 48 families, and you're going to have at least 10 gay families, which is 25% roughly of the participants, which is not, once again, what the demographics are in America, but that's what they got to do, so Glad doesn't fuck with them. But they grabbed a Chinese family. And once again, I got no problem with Chinese families or Chinese people or whatever, but I do have a problem when they say, we don't celebrate Christmas. And they do a Chinese lantern display. They're super rich, and they rent a 100-acre parking lot and none of it's Christmas. There was one Christmas tree. The rest is New York City, the pyramids. It had nothing to do with Christmas. And they awarded them the super-sized Christmas competition. And I go, you know, this is fucking horseshit. This has nothing to do with Christmas. But I don't want to go say anything because I don't want to be the racist. And they don't have a Twitter account. But then I go and search it on Twitter, and everybody, including young kids, are like, I'm not watching this show anymore. It's Christmas Light Fight, not We Don't Celebrate Christmas Light Fight. And that's, of course, what liberals do. Because when they're not making sure we have 25% gay people on every Christmas show, including Rap Battle and everything, which I've seen the previews for that, where everybody's gay, they're doing shit like this. Church nativity scene called Abomination for Showing the Most... Famous refugee family in the world separated in cages. 
The United Methodist Church of California is getting heavily criticized for the nativity scene showing the infant Jesus, Mary, and Joseph separated in cages. The Claremont United Methodist Church has used the nativity scene to speak out about U.S. southern border separation policy of the Trump administration. They didn't do it during Obama. Illegal immigrant family separation cages commenced with former President Barack Obama, but they didn't cover it. The display shows baby Jesus wrapped in a silver mylar blanket. It also shows each member of the Holy Family in a cage with Mary and Joseph extending their arms towards Jesus in the middle. We thought about the most famous refugee family in the world, the family of Jesus, the church senior minister, Reverend Karen Clark Christine, probably a lesbian, adding that another nativity scene inside the church shows Jesus, Mary, and Joseph reunited. They show her on there. She's a lesbian. Yeah, she's a lesbian. Shortly at the birth of Jesus, Joseph and Mary were forced to flee with their young son. Fuck, I'm not reading this. But not everyone agreed with the sentiment or the theology behind the nativity scene. <clears throat> on uh, Facebook, what an abomination to Jesus Christ. You should be ashamed of this place is the desecration of our Lord. They were traveling to register to pay taxes, not refugees. Typical California leftist BS. That's actually a fact. The journey to Egypt is not what is being depicted in the scenery in the church. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph weren't refugees. They were not smuggling drugs. They were not sex trafficking children. They were not raping women on the journey. They were not living off American taxpayers and draining, draining our system. No comparison. Yes, let's take one of the most hopeful, beautiful images of Christmas and turn it into a profane political statement that divides people. Not a church I want to attend. There are other ways to express opinion that do not desecrate Jesus. Others appreciated it. Such a powerful and thoughtful, provoking, and totally appropriate statement. Grateful for churches who aren't afraid to stand up for social justice. Powerful message. Well done. Don't listen to the sleazeballs with Trump's message of Christianity. Uh, Ristine Saturday Post has garnered 20,000 shares as the Monday morning. It was nice to see me, to see the people wanted to talk with one another, even though they disagreed. So if this sparks conversation, that should be one good goal. And then you get Gavin Newsom. These are they're just figurines. Now imagine women, children, moms, dads, brothers and sisters and babies. Now imagine that none of you guys said a thing when this happened under Obama. Obama's been out of office for three years. Stop throwing this kid in cage in his face. No need to imagine. We saw it in 2012. Let me introduce you to Jay Johnson and his kitty cages under direct orders from Barack Obama. Half the truth is a lie. This journey is a dangerous one. At the end of it, there's no free pass. Jay Johnson under Obama. Yeah. That's what they do. And once again, I hate to keep on bringing sexuality into it, but tell me lesbians like Christmas, gay people, transgenders. They're the people saying, don't say Merry Christmas to me. They're saying, make your Christmas Kwanzaa uh, fucking uh, Hanukkah gay. They're the ones getting rainbow Christmas trees. They don't celebrate celebrate Christmas. They politicize Christmas. All you traditional people that hate us. No. When I'm around my Christmas tree, I'm not thinking about gay people. You need to get over yourself. Walmart apologizes for sweater featuring Santa with cocaine. Walmart Canada is apologizing for adults-only Christmas sweater that was considered by many to be in bad taste. The sweater showing Santa with cocaine and the words, Let it snow. Appeared on a Canadian website. Oh, my fuck. What the fuck? 
Oh, my God. Then we get a funny story because, you know, the Lego movies are so great. So Playmobil tried to do it. And the movie cost, they they had $5 tickets. It cost $20 million to make. And it, domest, it, it domestically brought in $656,500. Nobody went to it. So I... Once again, Playmobil, you're not Lego. Finally, this is a lot of audio, but I just wanted to play it. Um, and then we'll go straight into our lighter fare, which is a Steve Harvey soundbike. Small business owner Christmas ad featuring his toddler's son has gone hugely viral, and it cost only 130 bucks. Once again, one of those moments I wish we were a YouTube channel, because this is so adorable. So you're going to hear that Christmas ad, and then you're going to hear Steve Harvey ask a question, and then I'm going to laugh my ass off. Let's dance in style, let's dance for a while Heaven can wait, we're only watching the skies Hoping for the best, but expecting the worst Are you gonna drop the bomb now? Let us die young and let us live forever We don't have the power, but we never say never Sitting in a sandpit, life is a short trip The music's for the sad man your question. Are leaders of today doing enough to protect future generations from climate change? If not, what more should they be doing? Steve, I think that the future leaders could do a little bit more. But however, I feel like we as individuals ourselves can also play a part in making the climate um, the way it should be in the future. I mean, we have um, children protesting for climate and I feel like as adults we should join as well. We should have corporations join as well and the government should take it seriously. I mean, from sixth grade, I've been learning that the climate is deteriorating and the planet is dying and it is up to us to keep our planet safe. Thank you. Thank you. 
The ad is so adorable. It's just a little toddler walking around playing with toys. It is a perfect Christmas commercial. It's so good. It's it's almost as good as the Apple one. And to Steve Harvey, Miss Universe says the planet is dying. An epic Steve Harvey eye roll. He rolled his eyes numerous times to the questions and the answers. Um, the second example was a question to Miss Columbia. Harvey asked her about the problem women worldwide have due to lack of access to reproductive health care. When a liberal uses the term reproductive health care, they usually mean the availability to abortion. Miss Columbia didn't come right out and use the word abortion, but it sounded like it was implied. It's a bit confusing, though, because she doesn't speak English and a translator delivered her answer. Steve Harvey, million of women worldwide lack access to reproductive health care. Why do you believe the most important issue in women's health and why? I think the most important thing is women are able to choose about their own body. We have to have the opportunity to have quality care so any decision we make about our body, about our health, and about our reproduction will ever put us at risk, especially our lives. Most of the three-hour pageant was generic beauty pageant verbiage. The women tried to deliver inspiring remarks and do it in a humble way. It was surprising to me that I only had to raise any eyebrows a couple times over some liberal tinged answers but to the questions it literally was steve harvey rolling his fucking eyes and it was hilarious which brings us to serious shit so we've done our fun and i gotta get on some fucking climate because greneth thunberg and company we're at it again Bloomberg Market starts this out, and I don't even remember this. I think I reported it, but I don't remember it. Exxon won a closely watched securities fraud trial that delved into the internal accounting for the financial risk of climate change. The Office of the Attorney General failed to prove by a respondents of the proponents of the evidence that ExxonMobil made any material misstatements or omissions about its practices and procedure that misled any reasonable investor. A New York judge found ExxonMobil Court not guilty of fraud, saying Tuesday the New York State Attorney General had failed to establish the oil giant had deceived his investors about how it accounted for the cost of future climate change regulations. The judge straight up scorns the New York expert witness who equated merely opening an investigation with the evidence that Exxon had committed a crime. Warren and fucking Sanders were all over this saying it's bullshit. So was AOC, who was just all into this shit. They wanted to try to get oil company because oil companies are bad. Never mind that we all needed to operate our lives, have electricity, millions of jobs. You know, fuck that shit. Then we have Bolsonaro calls Greta Thunberg a brat and latest celebrity insult. Brazil's president, Jair Bolsonaro, described activist Greta Thunberg as a brat in his latest attack on celebrity environmentalists concerned about the deforestation of an Amazon rainforest. Question about the recent killing of two indigenous leaders, the subject of a Facebook post by Thunberg. Bolsonaro told reporters on Brazil on Tuesday that it is staggering the amount of coverage the press gives that brat. <laughs> Despite outrage from world leaders and official data showing a sharp rise in Amazon deforestation, the Brazilian president continues to downplay concerns over the rainforest. Without offering evidence, Bolsonaro has said foreign non-governmental organizations are exaggerating the problem and in some cases are actually responsible for the recent spate of fires that have blighted the region a few months ago. And the rest of the article just dogs him because it's a liberal article. But I thought it was awesome because he called her a brat because she is a brat. But before we get to the money shot of why I'm covering Thunberg, 
This is one of our latest, this was a Twitter moment. We all had to listen to this. And I want you to listen to seven minutes or so of Greta Thunberg speaking in a new English. It's called Bumper Sticker Slogan. Bumper Sticker Slogan. Uh, in Sweden, uh, already uh, earlier today, we had uh, a climate strike in, uh, in Stockholm, and uh, we are we are really gaining momentum in Sweden. We are getting bigger and bigger, and uh, we are our voices are being heard more and more. Uh, but of course, that does not translate into political action uh, as I can imagine most other places uh, but we, we continue uh, in Stockholm they are in Sweden they are striking every Friday from school and um, they have been doing that for, for one and a half years now so, and they are very patient and okay, thank you uh, um, the climate movement started in January in Uganda, and so far now we have a number of activists. The issue with Uganda is that it is hard to hold a massive strike because of police brutality and arrests. So many people fear to join the strikes as a result of fear of the police and ignorance of the people about the climate crisis. Many people do not know much about climate change in Uganda as it is not really taught in schools. So many don't know that we are in a crisis and it is quite hard to convince them to join the climate strike. So it has not been so easy, but it is building momentum because we have uh, a number of individual activists in Uganda and I believe that by the end of the year we will have more activists because we have Fridays for Future Uganda, we have Youth for Future Africa, and they are all activists from Uganda. First of all, I, I had of course followed the, the recent developments in Chile, and uh, I, it was of course very upsetting to see, and uh, so, first, my, my thoughts was with, with the people of Chile, and still are, and um, I just hope that the, the situation gets better. And uh, so, yeah, that was my... And also, I... So, I mean, yeah... Of course, they should not listen to me before before anyone else. Uh, I, a figure like me, I'm not. I'm just an activist, a climate activist, a small part of a very big movement. And yes, we need more climate activists. And uh, and as I said, 
we don't need to listen to, to me before anyone else. And uh, having said that, I think it is also very important that, because I know people really want to hear from the others as well. So, so please ask questions, not only to me. Who wants to ask that question? Who was for you? No, he didn't say my name. <laughs> okay, for me. Um, I think, yes, it is very important that we include environmental justice when we speak of social justice. That is a very key thing uh, because that is the, the base of other, so, of other justices as well, climate justice and environmental justice. So it definitely needs to be included. Uh, I think, I hope, I sincerely hope that the COP25 will, will lead to something concrete and that that will lead to also an increase in, in awareness among people in general and that we, that the world leaders, the people in power grasp the urgency of the climate crisis because it, right now it doesn't seem like they are. So, um, so I really hope that and I know we will do everything we can to make sure that this, this is something that cannot be ignored anymore, that they cannot just hide away anymore. And uh, what do you others think about that? ¿Qué molesta que sean los jóvenes un poco los, los que estén liderando este movimiento? ¿O crees realmente que, que molesta por algún motivo? Gracias. Uh, some people, it feels like, want to maintain, they want everything to continue like now, and they are afraid of change, and change is what we young people are bringing, and that's why they are trying to silence us. And uh, but that is just a proof that we are having an impact, that our voices are being heard, since they try so desperately to silence us. And uh, Vanessa? Um, I think they try to silence us because they do not want to give up on their greed for money over our lives. It is important for them to understand that lives come before money, but if they keep going after their greed, if they keep going after their money and development, which they think benefits us, for example, in Africa, uh, we keep getting all these large emitters coming to our continent and thinking that they are bringing development to us, and yet it is destruction in the end. So if they don't give up on their greed, they'll keep on silencing us, but we are just going to keep moving forward. Sí, vamos ya terminando. Tengo que dar eh, algún tema más. Eh, la compañera de, de la sexta, no It's impossible for anyone to know how the world will look uh, in 10 years. And that I think is also the challenge we face, that we don't know what is going to happen. Of course, we can predict approximately this and that, how, how it will be, but we cannot know for sure. So we have to adapt. And we have to we have to solve the problem when the problem comes, and of course pre try to do everything we can to prevent worse consequences. Um, 
uh, and uh, to those who are not here, uh, COP25 is seen as a kind of middle year that the big event is COP26 next year. But we cannot afford middle years. We cannot afford any more days going by without without real action being taken. Uh, so, so the COP25 is not something we should look, we should just look past and ignore because every chance we get to to be facing the impact of the climate crisis. Uh, for example, I'll keep speaking for Africa because that's where I come from. There are countries like Uganda, Kenya, like for two months they have been having crazy floods and people have been dying, people have been left homeless and children have been left as orphans. So if you keep saying that we have years to try and save ourselves remember that there are people who are already dying as a result of this crisis so it's not a matter of the future it's a matter of now if you want to survive we have to act now and to those who are not here for COP I find them being so selfish and not being considerate at least if they can't do it for us they should do it for their own children they're being hypocrites and they're pretending, they're trying to clean up their mess by making us think that they're helping us. So I don't really trust in their sponsorship in the COP25. They're just trying to cover up their mess and they're trying to brainwash us and blind us because if we see that they are sponsoring, some of the people may actually think that what they have been doing is right. Okay, they're now trying to clean up what they have done, but they shouldn't just sponsor, they should try to reverse the crisis that they've created. Thank you. For, for over a year, and still basically nothing has happened. Um, the climate crisis is still being ignored by those in power and we cannot go on like this. It is not a sustainable solution that children skip school. We cannot go on like that. So uh, we don't want to continue. So we would, we would love some action from, from the people in power. I mean, because people, people are suffering and dying from the climate and ecological emergency today and we cannot wait any longer. It's striking and we've been doing this for a long time, but it's not about the strikes, it's about the action, it's about the impact that these strikes bring about. Uh, we are tired of the praises that you keep giving activists because we don't want the praises, we want your action towards the climate crisis because the praises are not going to save us. It is your action that is going to save us. It is your action that is going to secure a better future for all of us. And we don't want the promises. We've had a lot of promises since forever. And I know we are going to hear more promises at this COP25. We had promises at the UN Youth Climate Summit and, and the General Summit. But we don't want just your promises. We don't want you to just declare climate emergency in the different countries. We want you to act because most of you are being pushed to declare climate emergency just to try and please us. But we want you to act, not just declare. Thank you. Okay. Uh, 
I think we have achieved uh, a lot. We have we have raised public awareness, and we have created uh, opinion, and that is that is a big step in the right direction. But of course, it's nowhere near enough. So, um, so frankly, the CO2 emissions are not reducing; they are in fact increasing. 2019, they will increase 0.6%. Um, so, uh, so, so of course there is no victory uh, because the only thing we want to see is real action, and real action has not been happening. So, of course, we have achieved a lot. But, um, but if you look at it from 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 a certain point of view, we have achieved nothing. Now, remember, this is world media fawning over this girl. I mean, they are just scrambling to ask questions, and this is the same girl who this was her big speech this year. My message is that we'll be watching you. This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet, I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. And all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? Yeah, that goes on for more of her losing her fucking emotions because she's an autistic child that uses, is being used like a tool to try to get people to change. And then she had this impressive speech just a few weeks ago. Recently, a handful of rich countries pledged to reduce their emissions of greenhouse gases by so and so many percent by this or that date. Or to become climate neutral or net zero in so and so many years. This may sound impressive at first glance, but even though the intentions may be good, this is not leadership. This is not leading. This is misleading. Because most of these pledges do not include aviation, shipping, and imported and exported goods and consumption. They do, however, include the possibility of countries to offset their emissions elsewhere. These pledges don't include the immediate yearly reduction rates needed for wealthy countries, which is necessary to stay within the remaining tiny budget. Zero in 2050 means nothing if high emission continues even for a few years, then the remaining budget will be gone. Without seeing the full picture, we will not solve this crisis. Finding holistic solutions is what the COP should be all about. But instead, 
it seems to have turned into some kind of opportunity for countries to negotiate loopholes and to avoid raising their ambition. So in light of this autistic child that's carted around the world pretending to sail, but we're flying people all over the place to pull off her sailing and flying the boat back and flying and burning carbon and she's turning down awards. Time magazine, a irrelevant magazine that's still trying, I mean, I got a Twitter war over this yesterday with some jackass that was asking for posters of this picture because they made her the person of the year and made this cover of her standing next to the ocean staring off in space as a wave hits or some shit. And this guy asked for a poster. I said, you know, all I hear in the media is how Trump people and anybody who's conservative, are, we're all fucking a cult, but you're asking for posters. His response was five insults of my weak-minded, ignorant, uneducated, blah, 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 to which I responded and then blocked him. So you never met me. Four insults, and that's your answer to why you want posters of a flavor of the month kid. Go fuck yourself. That was my last reply to that idiot. So, and here's the opening paragraph from Time. Greta Thunberg sits in silence in the cabin of a boat that will take her across the Atlantic Ocean. Inside, there's a cow skull hanging on the wall, a faded globe, a child's yellow raincoat. Outside, it's a tempest. Rain pelts the boat, ice coats the deck, and the sea batters the vessel that will take the slight girl, her father, and a few companions, Virginia, to Portugal. For a moment, as if Thunberg was the eye of a hurricane, a pool of resolve, at the center of a swirling chaos. In here, she speaks quietly because she's autistic and she has a mental illness. Out there, the entire natural world seems to amplify her small voice screaming along with her. We can't just continue living as if there is no tomorrow. She says, tugging on the sleeve of her blue sweatshirt, that is all we are saying. Weird time. For some inexpressible reason, left out the part where the YouTubers flew in a captain, which is the only reason Greta was able to complete this stunt in the first place. YouTubers sailed Greta Thunberg across the Atlantic, flew in a captain for the trip. BBC Newsbeat. Greta Thunberg wanted to sail because it's a good way to send a message to the world that there is no real sustainable option to travel. Yeah, no shit! She's not telling everyone how to travel. She's not telling anyone how to live their life. That's what they say. But yes, she is. She is telling people how to live their lives, which is why Time bragged about her no-flying pledge is actually changing consumer behavior. At the individual level, ordinary people are following Thumber's example. In Sweden, flying is increasingly seen as a wasteful emission of carbon and a change of attitude captured by a new world. Fly scam, meaning flight shame, there was an 8% drop in domestic flights between January and April, according to Svidia, Swedevia, which runs the national airports and interrail ticket sales have tripled over the past two years. More than 19,000 people have signed a pledge swearing off air travel in 2020, and the German railway operator Deutsche Bahn reported a record number of passengers using its long-distance rail in the first six months of 2019. Swiss and Australian railway operators also saw uptick on their night train service this year. The Greta effect may be growing, but Thunberg herself remains unmoved. One person stops flying doesn't make such difference, she says. The thing we should look at is the emission curve. It's still rising. Of course, something is happening, but basically nothing is happening. 
Anyway, should now turn on nations that actually say they believe climate change is a problem, so this will end well. BBC News. This is not leading. This is misleading. Accuses countries of misleading people with seemingly impressive climate pledges, adding that the COP25 summit has become an opportunity to negotiate loopholes and avoid raising their ambition. That was a soundbite we heard. Maybe now that time is killing all these trees to put her on the cover, something will be done. AP Europe, almost nothing is being done, activist Greta Thunberg tells nations at UN conference. They need to stop looking for loopholes and climate rules and step up their fight against global warming. Mm-hmm. So she shames everybody, and then our version of Thunberg says this. Medicare for all, a tuition from public colleges, are some handout from somebody else. Nobody else is giving us a damn thing. We feel good on our own. We budget, we establish it, we fight for it, we create it, and no one should be able to take it away from us as they have it. So that's that on that. Yeah, she brings out what Warren's bringing out. And all these people are, you didn't build that. Joe the Plumberisms from Obama. And they think they're going to get people on their side by insulting everybody. Once again, you can't run around saying the world's on fire and then insult everybody when they try to do the right thing and think you're going to win them over. But you can't hear that. In our media, as they have an orgasm over this Time magazine coverage. Tell us who it is. It's Greta Thunberg. Uh, she, she became the biggest voice on the biggest issue facing the planet this year, coming from essentially nowhere to lead a worldwide movement. And she also represents a broader generational shift in the culture that we're seeing from the campuses of Hong Kong to the protests in Chile to Parkland, Florida, where the students marched against gun violence, where young people are, are demanding change and uh, urgently. She embodies student activism. She does. She embodies youth activism, youngest person uh, ever to be person of the year. Oh, pretty cool. As you know, Greta said uh, a couple months ago uh, that she was not going to accept this, this particular award at an environmental conference, saying the climate movement does not need any more awards. What do you think her yeah. response is going right. to be? When you to, call her up to, to news. I don't know, but I, I think what she has done is, I mean, when you, when it, the, her, her rise in, in influence the, has been really extraordinary. She was a, a solo protester with a hand-painted sign yeah. 14 months yeah. ago. She's now led millions of people around the world, 150 countries, uh, in, uh, to, to act on behalf of the, of the planet. And, and she's taken this issue, been, been really the key driver this year, taking this issue from backstage to uh, center. Well, she's a unique individual. Folks who don't know her well should probably watch her TED Talk. She talks about the fact that she has Asperger's, that she's different, but she stands out in front. And I'm sure there are a lot of parents whose children are, you know, have something like that or are probably looking at this young girl and saying, like, you know, way to go. We're going to go to some good news now, and this was just announced moments ago. The Time Person of the Year is 16-year-old climate change activist Greta Thunberg. Now, you remember when the Swedish team took on UN world leaders at the Climate Change Mm -hmm. Summit. I mean, 16 years old. Congratulations to her. She had a passionate plea garnering a lot of attention. Greta Thunberg! Wow! 
she was Very right good here. choice. Yes, the 16-year-old environmental activist from Sweden gained global recognition this year. Finnborough delivered a powerful and emotional speech at this year's UN Climate Action Summit. Her words prompted an international movement to fight climate change. Her brutal honesty while confronting world leaders about climate change How dare you! sparked worldwide protests. Uh, she, she became the biggest voice on the biggest issue facing the planet this year, coming from essentially nowhere to lead a worldwide movement. And she also represents a broader generational shift in the culture that we're seeing from the campuses of Hong Kong to the protests in Chile to Parkland, Florida, where the students marched against gun violence, where young people are, are demanding change and uh, urgently. She embodies student activism. She does. She embodies youth activism, youngest person uh, ever to be person of the year. No, she didn't take it by storm. Twitter and the media made us find this person. This is no different than Stoneman Douglas. This is no different than transgenders. This is no different than anything out there. AOC, you, the media, choose that us simpleton rubes in the middle of the country need to get educated by a 16-year-old fucking autistic kid who can't control our emotions and is used as a fucking prop. You and the media believe that there is this transgender murder spree going on, which all turns into domestic violence, and we need to know about transgenders and 95 fucking pronouns. You and the media believe that we need to listen to a fucking bartender who won an uber-liberal district tells us the world's going to end in 12 years. We all need to go to socialism and live green. You pushed it. It's not organic. It's not grassroots. As Nancy Pelosi says, it is astroturf. You push this shit on everybody. I mean, I literally go back to Stoneman Douglas once again and how you, if you had a Twitter account, people you may want to follow, every kid from Stoneman Douglas. That's not done by fucking metrics, because I follow conservative people or sports figures. I follow the NRA, which I'm a member of because I'm a gun owner. I even posted pictures of the range on my Twitter account. But no, you must listen to these fucking 16-year-old kids that want to shame you. I mean, her very premise in that speech of how dare you. You look to us kids to save you. No, I'm not looking to you for shit. I'm looking for you to pump gas in Oregon because they still have people that pump gas out there. I'm looking at you to bag my fucking groceries if I ever get a beggar, which I usually don't when I go to Kroger, which, by the way, I'm trying click pick today, or my wife is. I'm going to just go pick up the groceries at 11, and somebody picked it for me. Really weird. It's free. I don't know. She wanted to try it, so we're doing it. You supposedly get extra discounts. But I don't look for shit from 16-year-old kids other than bad fucking attitudes and fads. Aforementioned transgender, gender binary, gender neutral, gender fluid, we don't drink this now. We only eat kale. That's what I look at kids for, and then I mock it. I, I don't look for them to solve shit. I mean, when your crowd is doing this, someone's putting tiny cowboy hats on pigeons in Las Vegas and animal rescue workers 
Move to remove it. They're all freaking out. Did they glue them? Oh, my God. The four four flying rats. Oh, my God. And your crowd does this. She was hanged in California 168 years ago for murder. Or was it because she was Mexican? That's what you get for the media. When you have nothing to fucking report in the social justice fucking quest of shaming everybody and cancel culture, you dig up stories from 168 years ago, or as we started everything as racist, talking about slavery, reparations. Yeah, you're idiots. But I do have some positives. Woman protesting with Antifa tries rushing police line, but cops weren't playing. Group of Antifa militants staged a protest in Seattle over the weekend. Conservative journalist Andy NGO reported it. And the notorious violent leftists did their usual Antifa thing. Dressing in black hoodies, wearing masks, and taunting police, the officers appeared to be protecting a small group of pro-American demonstrators. Burn, baby, burn. They were blue, burning a blue flag, a blue line America flag, while standing at the base of the statue of John Hart McGraw, Washington's second governor. But a police officer sprayed a fire out, which ignited anger among Antifa militants. One militant actually yelled at the cop who doused the flames, What the fuck is wrong with you? Suck a dick, you fat motherfucker. And it sounded a little bit like this. <laughs> That, that sounds like a sane person. Then you got my wife, Gigi in Tennessee. She sends me this one. It's just titled, TDS is Real. 
Where are the concentration camps again? Anybody? Anybody know? Hmm. I don't know. So this will bring us to our This Is America. Had to do this one because these are just, they sum up our media. Scarborough, forgetting he's implied this about Trump voters and everybody, his show has had people like Donnie Doach literally say it. But on a National Remembrance Day or something, him literally saying, need to stop calling people Nazis. And then Don Lemon losing his shit over a meme. I mean, Trump lives rent-free in these people's heads. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. And this is America in 2019. It should be sort of mentioned that Monday was UN Genocide Day, World Genocide Day, and um, uh, the UN Secretary General issued a statement saying that the Holocaust didn't begin in the gas chambers, it began years before with hate speech. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment America is going to end up with genocide, but the dehumanizing language that the president has used, initially it was mostly about Muslims and illegal immigrants and the media, is now, is now spreading into uh, political opponents, people who work in, uh, for the federal government, including in the FBI, um, and really anybody who gets in his way. And words are not just words. They soften people up. They make the climate more p- permissive. And as I say, they dehumanize um, the people whom the words are targeted at. Yeah, maybe, maybe we don't want to compare it to Nazi Germany in 1933. Uh, but maybe we do compare it to Russia, to Vladimir Putin's regime now, mm-hmm. to Orban's regime in Hungary now, uh, to, to other autocratic regimes uh, who use language uh, in, in a way uh, to savage their opponents, uh, de- to dehumanize their opponents. In addition to all the lies and all the blustering at tonight's rally, Trump's war room posted a meme on Twitter today showing Trump as the supervillain Thanos from the Marvel Avengers movies. Dispatching his Democratic enemies. Take a look at this. I am inevitable. On this solemn day, I recall that the first order of business for members of... What are we, in junior high school? Like, what the hell? What is this? Like, what? What? I I cannot believe that I'm even having to report this on the news. This is, 
this is crazy. This is literally crazy. Are you people insane? Are you are you insane? Go ahead. Troll the Democrats on Twitter. Do this stupid, silly, you know what? Play this stupid, juvenile, mean game. History won't record this mean, stupid crap. But history will record this. The seriousness of what is happening. That today is the day that the House of Representatives in the United States of America introduced articles of impeachment against President Donald J. Trump, the President of the United States of America, for committing high crimes and misdemeanors. And then we have the tweet that I talked about last podcast. I really want to cover it because then I have an impeachment soundbite. That you didn't hear. My wife sent it to me. In fact, let's just play that first. Every time liberals protest something, it is front page news. And we were told about it. And how it's freedom and shit. But you never heard this. Barry Nadler and the Democrat Party are committing treason against this country. And you can kick me out, but he's the one committing crimes. You are Gary Nadler. You're the one committing treason. America's done with this. America's sick of the treason committed by the Democrat Party. That was not on your TV. You never heard that. Somebody protesting the hearing. You heard about trannies. You heard about everybody that's ever done it. You see it every time conservatives did something under Obama. There were people, uh, most importantly, I mean, let's, let's be honest. There was all sorts of, uh, during, um, during, uh, Bush, there was a shitload of code pink. You always heard it. Always. They don't broadcast it. They broadcast more of this. The Inspector General report today was good for us American citizens. And it was validating for the FBI on one level, but it exposed some issues that they need to fix as well. Here are the big takeaways. One, the FBI properly opened its investigation into Russian elections interference. No more hoax. No more witch hunt. This president and his attorney general have been trashing our government without cause. So, the deep state they spied on us riff from Trump and co, the toxic hoax hype, it should be dead, but it isn't. And here's the irony. Trump and co are actually now acting like the deep state that they defined wrongly. And as for Barr's thinnest of suspicions crack about the basis to start the probe, he's once again going bad on his own agency because the report found that investigators were just following FBI guidelines. Yeah, but who made them? Oh, I'm glad you asked. This guy, former Bush attorney general and friend of this show, Mike Mukasey. Now, Barr could change the standards, right? He's the AG now. They were put in place after 9-11. The question is, why would you take tools from your own people who are trying to keep the rest of us safe? But he didn't mention that, and he's not going to change them, because his goal is to put stink on his agency, undermine the institution openly, and in obvious political fashion, just to advance a political preference. 
very deep state. So one thing is now Hundo P, 100% clear. This POTUS is better represented in these proceedings than any other president ever in an impeachment. Clinton had Democrats go bad on him. Well, that's not fair. They did their duty, and they voted against him twice to initiate the proceeding and on articles of impeachment. He had 31 say, yeah, let's do this, and five say, yeah, he uh, should be impeached on these. This president has his whole party in Congress ignoring their oath and arguing his side not once, but twice. Clinton had him go bad on him twice. He's had them go bad on their oath twice. Deep state. People put in place to affect their own political agenda. How do they not meet the definition? Our Attorney General, Bill Barr, and this cabal of former conservatives in Congress, boy, do they see. Is this bitterness and this division is not new. And then Watergate came along. And you know what the average Democrat thought? Uh, we got a chance here to screw this guy, get this guy. Nixon said they gave, uh, they gave, we gave them a sword and they plunged him with relish. And, and you the most that's Republic- what Democrats are doing today? No, I'm saying this bitterness and division in this country took decades to develop. It's not a newbie under Trump. Trump's exploited it. But what is new is the way news is consumed. The poll numbers aren't changing. And we could say, hasn't anybody watched well, these there impeachment wasn't a Fox hearings back then. over the last there two wasn't weeks? A Fox. But today, half the country is watching a completely different version of these events of news. How much does that impact the way all this has been absorbed? That wasn't the case in the last two impeachments. No, there wasn't a Fox. That's different. Uh, but there was, you know, I agree. Look, a lot of it has to do with medium. You know, back in the 60s, 50s, there was a moderate Republican newspaper, the New York Herald Tribune. And when they died, the moderate Republican Party, the modern Republican moderate party died. So you do need a medium. The New York Times is for liberals. The Wall Street Journal is for, Dem- for uh, conservatives. I think you need a medium to b- fight your case. And, and the Republican right-wingers found one. It's called Fox. It's smart. They got one. Roger Ailes gave it to them. Would Richard Nixon have had a different outcome had Fox News existed? That it's, of course, Cuomo saying, well, they failed in their duties. And MSNBC saying it's Fox News. We're objective news. Because now I get to the tweet I spoke about. At Vox, I think the implied audience is a graduate of or student at a selective college which also describes the staff and our social peers. And if you assign me the job of serving a less educated audience, is probably need to think about how to change things up. Neon Taser. Matt Inglesi has predictably inflated opinion on a level of his writing. Is probably need to think about how to change things up? Indeed, you are already well in the way. Think I'll probably make sure my post about my elevated writing style wasn't rendered gibberish by typos, but maybe that's just a public school quirk. And that sums them up. It sums up this whole podcast. That tweet is it's on par with Chris Saliza saying, for the millionth time, reporters don't pick sides when clearly you have. There's never been at CNN, MSNBC, ABC, NBC, CBS, New York Times, WAPO. I've never seen any media ever pick a Republican for president. Even when Republicans were way ahead in the polls, 
They were still rooting for the Democrat, and there was a possibility that they could pull it out in these areas. And on November 8th, 2016, we watched them spinning that there was a lot of black voters still in Detroit, and maybe he didn't win Michigan. Maybe. And they didn't declare until the last minute, and they were hoping she'd ask for a recount, and they didn't want it to happen. <clears throat> They're smarter than you. They're intelligent. You're just a fucking rube. That's what you are. And when you don't do what they say or pick up their latest social justice cause, just like that guy with the fucking Thunberg, I'm not saying Thunberg, posters, you're weak-minded, bigot, unintellectual. You're an idiot. Because your opinion isn't their opinion. They're better than you. Just remember that. Know your role and shut your hole. That is the whole progressive stance. That's the foundation of everything they believe in. You need to shut the fuck up. We know better than you. And we're here to guide you through life and take away all your shit and hand it to somebody else because you're white. Doesn't matter you came from Trailer Park. Doesn't matter you don't live like a king. You're a white person. You don't deserve that shit. We need to give it to our voters so they'll keep voting for us. Because that's what it's all about. It's just voting. I got to get them to vote. So This wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share this with your family and friends. And send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Pocket Static, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Pocket Cast. Remember to check out the Facebook page at FOP Podcast and the Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. Our next podcast, as stated, will be 18 December, Year of Our Lord 2019. It will be political. Which, yeah, this is kind of political too, but this is the fun stuff. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs. Enjoy the Christmas season, my friends. From now on, our ending is going to be Christmas music because it's the holiday season. Enjoy some time with your family. I myself will be doing some a Christmas trip to the lake with the dogs where we go get them a sausage McMuffin. One of them always yaks it in my Jeep on the way home, so I always lay down a tarp. We let them run around the woods. And uh, I'll do some Christmas junking and Christmas movies and get ready for the last couple of weeks because it's now 12 days away. 12 days away from Christmas Day. So make sure you got your shit in order because Santa's watching. You got to get those tube socks that you don't want. It's very important. As always, my friends, thanks for listening and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.